do realize that no one is going to be able to hear anything you were saying, and I couldn't hear a word you were saying over the music. And that means you're playing the music too loud. No. No, and, and you wouldn't know because you don't have your earbuds in. And when you started doing whatever you were doing and I turned up the music to drown you out, you I couldn't could hear. hear it. Yes, I could. Yeah, <laughs> but your earbuds were not in your ears. So, uh, don't this you is, ever listen to shows where they just play the music and they talk over it? Uh, I do. I do. Um, I've been thinking about doing something different for the intro, but laziness in that area is winning out. You um, should turn it down. I was just talking over it. I was um, trying it out. Well, I, it's not just turning it down on the board. I have to reduce the, the level of it inside of the app here. I can't just turn it down on the board. It doesn't work that way. So, You're the pod ministry. Now that we've had magic. podcasting talk. Well, I mean, this is the new Utah podcast after all. We do have to talk about podcasting some point, I think. Is that how it works? I don't... I don't know. It's episode 120, 120, 120 fucking episodes. That's a long time. That's my first swear of the night. The, uh, I don't think I swore hardly at all during our interview. So we, we actually, uh, okay, we have a fantastic conversation with, with Derek Parra that, that you guys will get to hear um, tonight or tomorrow. Whatever time you listen to us, this is a damn podcast. This this is, a, he's an Olympic gold medalist in speed skating, um, and he, he works for the U.S. Olympic Foundation. I don't remember what the name the it Olympic is. Legacy is yeah, Olympic Legacy. Yeah, Olympic Legacy Foundation. Um, but he's he's been all over the place. He's been to a couple Olympics, and, um, uh, but he's, uh, he's, uh, it's, it's, it's a great conversation, and, and the, I wasn't really going to talk about uh, September 11th. It is September 11th today as we record this. I like uh, that we already did, but I'm with you. Yeah, and I wasn't, I didn't know that I wanted to talk about it, but but Derek had a, a, a really touching story uh, in regards to September 11th. He, he um, for those of you who don't know, he carried the flag. Um, it was one of eight people. Mm-hmm. Uh, carried the flag uh, from the World Trade Center during the Olympic Games that, that followed. Um, and um, it's, he is a really moving and compelling story uh, about that experience that, that we talked to him about. And um, I'm glad he shared it. That was just amazing. Yeah. Uh, tear, tear jerking story for those of you that are, are curious. Uh, Get your uh, tissues. Several, several <laughs> folks in here were, were uh, tearing up, so including Derek himself. Um, and it's, uh, um, so I wasn't going to talk about it, but I we might as well. I think it's amazing that even. Almost 17 years later that he still feels so moved by that experience. Yeah. That is just, that says a lot about his character, I think. It does. It was also very telling about that time uh, for a lot of people. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys. I remember exactly where I was when it happened. Mm-hmm. I remember that day yep. um, very, very, very clearly. Um so, and I, we talk, we didn't talk about it last year, did we? Uh, we haven't, I think this might be our first recording on the actual day I, and it was a Tuesday as well. Yeah. And I think it's worth talking about, um, you know, it's not something that I think we should forget as a country. Um, I don't think it's something that we should look to towards, uh, it, to, to say country first. Cause I don't think that was the point. Uh, I don't, I, what I mean by I don't think that was the point is I don't think that's what happened afterwards. And we kind of talked about that with Derek. Um, but for me, it, do we want to talk about it? We don't have to. We're here. All right. Uh, <laughs> so for me, uh, I'll, I'll start and, and then maybe you guys can, can share for me. It's a campfire um, stories. I was, 
uh, I was on my way to work when it happened. Um, and this is a time in my life where I was living out in Magna. My transmission was fucked in my car and I couldn't pay for it um, because it was, you know, $1,600 or something like that. And so I was riding a bus, UTA, not one bus, probably like seven at the time. I don't remember. It was a lot. <laughs> from, from 9150 West and like 30th South and Magna all the way to Knudsen's Corner. To not the office complexes that are up there, the Mill Creek offices that are on like 6200 South and like 30th East, uh, at least four different transfers. And I'm not exaggerating, four transfers to get there. And one of them was in uh, the holiday area. And it's right where it's all been changed now. It's not the same area, but it's where that Neaters used to be. Uh, and the Neaters might still be there in Holiday, um, where the weird, funky, like, dumb diagonal streets were. Oh, yeah. Um, so I was standing on the corner there waiting for a bus when I got a phone call uh, on my cell phone. Are you listening to the radio? Well, no, because I was waiting for a bus. I don't have a radio. Cell phones didn't have radios at the time. Um, uh, a plane just hit the World Trade Center. What? Not a lot of information. So uh, I, I get on the bus um, going like, what the fuck? And I get to work and that's all anyone's talking about. And, and I remember we're, we're watching it uh, on, on a TV and we're trying to refresh uh, news sources like CNN.com. None of them are fucking working because there's so much traffic. And um, we see on TV the, the second plane hit. And I think it was at that point that all the questions of what happened with the first plane were answered because two planes don't hit. There's no coincidence like yeah, that. Not by accident. No. And, and I remember and it was like, what, like 10, 1030 in the morning when the second plane hit. It was still pretty early our time. I was like 953. Yeah. So ish. close. <laughs> 953 ish. <laughs> so, yeah, like 10 in the morning. Um and I remember after that second plane hit, uh, I was working for McLeod USA at the time, uh, a telecom company, and uh, the the head of the office here in Salt Lake uh, came out and said, we're done. No one's going to work today. You know, go home, be with families. Um, so I then proceeded to take another two and a half hour ride back to Magna. We got paid for the day, um, but it was it was very clear by that point that no one was going to work because it. I mean, it was like time stood still at that point. Um, and I, I I know you know talking to people that I, I worked with after that that were you know we had a guy in Hawaii um, doing something and he was stuck in Hawaii for two weeks. Oh, the fourth thing. I mean, it could be worse, but you, it, it, you have to think about it like this. Like, people were, like, they're out on a business trip expecting to fly back that day. You're stuck, and no one flew for 10 days. Not a single flight commercially took off. No private flights took off. So, you either got in a car and drove across, across country, um, or you figured it out, and you found a place to stay wherever you were at for way longer than you were planning on being there. Let's say you were going for a day trip, flying from, from Salt Lake to Atlanta for a day trip. That Why would you do that? <laughs> Maybe for work. Because there's like 100 flights a day to Atlanta. and Yeah, but that's a, that's a rough, that's a long it's a four hour. Hey, it happens. It's, it happens a lot. Um, let's, let's say even, this is another common thing, you fly from Salt Lake to Phoenix. That's a quick flight. Or Vegas. That's a really long ass really? drive to Phoenix. You know, that's a long drive to LA. It's 12 hours. So now you either find a rental car, which 
it's not easy to do at that point because first off, the first couple of days it's uncertain. And so you, okay, I'm going to stay. I've got, you know, one change of clothes. Uh, but by like the fourth or the fifth day, now you're looking for a rental car and they're all taken. Like it was a, so I remember very clearly where I was at. Um, and Jess, you were there. I was. And I, um, I just moved out there in December and so not even a year prior. And, uh, it's, it's interesting. I was watching a, a new, uh, documentary that was on history channel, uh, last night and I, the, it, everybody that was there always said it was just such a beautiful day and the skies were so blue and they were cause I took the garbage yeah, out and I just remember thinking the exact same thing. And so, um, I just lived about, uh, like a, like a 30 minute drive across the river. Um, and I, I say, I save, I save my emails. And if it's okay, I just want to read the email that I sent to my mom. Um, I, I said, wow, you see these things from miles and miles away. And it's sad, but it's never scary until it's 15 miles away from you, mom. The South Tower at the World Trade Center has just collapsed. At 8.45, a plane crashed into the north one. And then as soon as we looked at the TV, there was a huge explosion and another one crashed in. The Pentagon's on fire. Part of the Washington Mall is on fire. This is some really scary stuff, Mom. They're saying terrorist stuff. Smoke billowed through New York City, and I'm sure if I went outside, I could see it. All the airports across the United States are closed, as well as the Sears Tower. Okay, I better go. Um... And and I'm and I, and I said, Mom, it's scary. Just watch the second tarot collapse. You can't see Manhattan; it's covered in smoke. Um, prayers are going to be a must. And then the emails underneath are actually my boyfriend at the time emailing my mom, making sure that she know that she knew because I had to work that day. I worked at uh, at a Bennigan's, and uh, you couldn't ask anybody how they were. I mean, because everybody knew somebody and well, it was the longest day ever. And, and you could, as soon as the hill that I drove up to go to work, you just, that, that was the skyline. And, um, three months later to the day, we ended up down in lower Manhattan and still things smelling and, and smoky and broken. And I spent a lot of time down there. Um, just, uh, visiting the hole and I'll, I'll never forget when they opened that subway station back out and he just came around the corner and there was just this, this huge hole and it was before they had the new, the new station open. But, um, I didn't know anybody. I'd never been there before. I took a picture of it from the very first time I visited New Jersey on the way to the airport, but it, it changed everything. And, and, um, the most, unfortunate um people just had a there was a lot of amazing things but uh in the in my mind i was on the corner uh just walking through new york city one day and a cab pulled up next to me and the window was down and the guy next to me went over and spit on the cab driver and i will never forget that and i did i still don't understand clearly to this day but it's it's so interesting looking at it 17 years later of how Everybody was just like, yes, like we are banding together. And now like chaos is happening every day and everyone is just like at each other's throats. And it just is. Yeah, that's my my experience. That's where I was. I was there. <laughs> what about you guys, Jeremy? Bree? <clears throat> I was working a horrible 
uh, like 2 a.m. to 11 at a warehouse. Oh, Jesus. So I'd already been up, and my shift was coming to a close when it all happened. But I remember somebody out on the floor had a radio on and said something about what was going on. So I was a manager. So the, the couple of the managers, we went in and into one of the break rooms and turned on the TV. And slowly, kind of everybody shifted into the to this break room where the TV was. And after the second plane hit, um, the the general manager came over the loudspeaker and said, we're, we're done for the day. Everybody just go home. So I, I remember seeing bits and pieces of it. And then, of course, when I got home, that's when I really watched all of the news feeds. And it just it probably took most of the day to even wrap your head around what was going on. Well, because so much was going on because you're getting... Well, yeah, because it wasn't just the World Trade Center, no. and, and we forget that there was Pentagon there was and the, uh, Shanksville. Yeah, there, there was a crash into the Pentagon, and then, and then there was the, the flight in Pennsylvania. Uh, and, and then you've got the hijacked flights being talked about. It wasn't until after the fact that you got more in depth, but it's it's going on, and then they're talking about airports, and because they're they're watching all over the United States at the time, so they're like, well, something's happening here, and something's happening here, and, and you're just trying to piece it all together and wrap your mind around everything that's happening. So I, re- I remember just kind of basically spending the rest of the day just in front well, of the TV, just not, just can't even believe what's going on. And you think about it from like the military perspective, like they have fighter jets now scrambled and, and this is going on all over the country, scrambled, escorting commercial airliners to the ground, to the ground, to the nearest place that they can land. Because they don't know who's a threat and who's not a threat, mm-hmm. and and these are these and are. And it was, I think, a documentary last night said there were like fifty three hundred planes or something. I can't remember yeah. that, but it was in the five thousand. And, and and these 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 guys know that are escorting these planes. If they veer off whatever prescribed course they have, they have to shoot them down. Mm-hmm. They cannot let them do more damage, and that's and you think about what happened, what we know of what happened on that, that flight over Pennsylvania. And basically the, the sacrifice those people made that were on that flight to crash it into the ground and not allow it to be another weapon. I remember my, my oldest sister and her husband were supposed to fly back to Michigan. That day, mm-hmm. they were in the airport oh boy. when it all went down. And they shut the airport down. But for a while, the whole airport was on lockdown. You couldn't come. You couldn't go. So they were stuck at the airport for eight or nine hours. And then they finally came home. And then they ended up driving. But they spent the whole day in the airport. But in an airport, imagine how freaky that would have been. Because you don't know what's going on. And you don't know what planes are targets. And you, yeah. well, anyway. That's crazy. What about you? What about you, Brie? I was alone the whole day. Um my ex-husband had already left for work and I had my one-year-old and my three-year-old and I heard it on X96 and so I turned on the TV but I muted the TV and watched it happen and had to go into work because every single person at my work was on a retreat up in Park City and they were already there the night before. So I had to spend the whole day and I worked with the hospital association at the time. And... People who worked at hospital associations were trying to organize hospitals um, on the East Coast, and they were calling people on the West Coast to see what we could do to help. And 
I mean, I was not even 25 yet. And they're calling me and they're like, what can you do? And I'm like, I'm the receptionist. I, there's no one here. Why are you guys doing stuff? I'm like, there's nothing we can do. There's no way that we can we can help you at this point because everything's grounded. Nobody can get there for days. We're in Utah. You're in New York. Like that's it's a, not it's a four day drive. Um and so I was trying to get a hold of the people up at the retreat because they're not paying attention to news and stuff. They're they're at a conference, right? Most of them aren't gonna get up and look at the paper or, or watch TV or whatever. They're in hotel rooms and stuff and trying to get a hold of them and anyway, so because people were calling, they I had to stay at work all day and um so I was alone all day. My ex husband worked all night because he worked two jobs and so I was alone the whole day. The only time I was with people was with my two little kids who, I mean, they're babies. One and three. You might as well just, (laughs) you might as well just be completely by yourself. Um, so yeah, I was, and it was really hard hearing, um, you know, the, the desperation in those people's voices, you know, what, what can you do to help? Nothing right now. There's absolutely nothing we can do. Um, we helped with, with Katrina and I remember feeling so much more empowered than, um, cause you could fly. Well, just because we could help, like we accepted people and I helped to organize those people coming and it was just such a different thing. But yeah, when, when your main source of, of, of getting from one place to another, um, in a country as big as ours is shut down, um, it really limits the people that are able to get there and, and provide the aid that you need so desperately. Um, most, so. most people forget, uh, uh, it, it's hard, it's hard to remember that when you're in a place like America, because we are such a large country landmass wise, there's not that many countries as big as us. And you think, you know, when something like this happens in the UK, everything's a few, few hours away by vehicle. And or so, train. Yeah. Even, even if you drive from, from the far east side of New Jersey to here, my best time was like 33 hours yeah, by myself. And that's like straight through, not really stopping. Like yeah. it's not. It was like stopping in Chicago for dinner and Omaha for like a four hour nap. Yeah. And you're an upkeep break here on there. <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not, the country's so big, it's not conducive to travel without a means like that. Well, and it's not like you're just Jess who's traveling like from school with her you know, with her suitcase and her snacks and stuff. If you're trying to, to mobilize care yeah. and support. It's semi trucks. It's, yeah, yeah it's, like it's, difficult. It's, it's, it's difficult. not, it's, it's not you, you know, packing your suitcase and making your list and making sure that you've got, you know, your medicines for you and stuff like that. It's, it's mobilizing a bunch of people and, and gathering the resources and, I mean, we could start doing some of that stuff, but even, even getting that stuff together was, was quite difficult. And, and like I said, that day was a retreat and I say the hospital association, it was all the CEOs of all of the hospitals in Utah yeah. up there. <laughs> yeah. Well, know. and keep in mind in 2001, there wasn't Facebook, there wasn't Twitter, there, there wasn't, was, there, there were MySpace, well, there was yeah. MySpace, there was MySpace. Uh, but, but, but that's but, not, that wasn't used like yeah, Twitter so and Facebook. Are used you weren't now. linked like, we yeah, were. well, and even, even news media on the internet. I mean, we're still, we're still talking just to the point where not everyone even has a cell phone. Like mm-hmm. right. I didn't have a cell phone I, at the time. I did. Um, but, but, it was not 
like cell phones were not commonplace everywhere, and they were just phones. They weren't. Yeah, they were just phones. phones. Texting was texting was just <laughs> just a thing where you were pressing a you know the number two three times right. to see, and if you fucked up, you had to press it like six more times to get back to see. I always count. I had to count one to see. Yeah, well, and if you and if you wanted a capital versus a lowercase, there was six presses. Um, <laughs> so I but, but so the the mass communication even wasn't there. It's like I was saying, we turned on TVs because streaming video was it, there it was possible but it wasn't great and not it, and very few people had it yeah or access and, to and, it. and even news media sites like cnn you know cnn.com the stories weren't quick enough uh there and if you think about like today like you would be there and like in it and so it was it was difficult night there are a few times in history where we this was 17 years ago we can all recall what happened like it was yesterday there are very few moments in history that that have that sort of effect on people i was sitting next to the the two old men that always talk next to me on the bicycles this morning and and they were talking about it and and they asked each other where they were and they said various things one of them was was actually on base um but he's like, you know, I remember where I was for 9-11. I remember, they're old. I remember where I was for JFK, and I can't remember the third one, because Channel, by then... Challenger shuttle, probably. Like I was, no, I wasn't. I remember that one. That, those were... The, I actually don't remember I that remember one. I remember that one, too. That, that's a, well, you, you weren't super old yet. I mean, the Challenger shuttle was... I was the same age as Jeremy. 89? Fifth grade. Yeah. But... We were watching it live. Oh, yeah, because there was a teacher on I board. lived in Denver... At the time, and we were watching it live. We were one of the schools that got to watch it live via the satellite feed. So I remember watching it live at school. Yeah, channel one. And then as soon as it happened, it was like confusion. And then I don't remember a whole lot. And then I remember the principal turning it off and being like, "We'll get back to." You. And kind of that was it. And it wasn't until like a day later. or two later. Yeah, I was in fifth grade that it was like, oh. But a lot of people uh, that were adults or young adults during that time remember it pretty clearly because it was such a big impactful thing because that was you know a lot of lives lost but it, it's not as not as huge as you know in no but that's what i was saying like the, yeah. like these 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 old gentlemen discussing that i wish i could remember the third event but i i was i actually had to stop listening because it was starting to make me upset and i know i have to get off my bike and get a tissue and all that kind of <laughs> stuff so but um you know, listening to, to people talk throughout the day, I didn't hear anyone at my work say one thing about it. Yeah. It's, it was, um, today it was weird. My boss, who never leaves the office for anything, I got him out of the office and took him over to the healing field today. He, in six years of me being there, has never left the office for anything. That's except for maybe to go deposit his check. <laughs> it is... Um, it's a it's a sad part uh, of our history, but there's there's a lot of good that's come out of it, and um, <clears throat> that's the first twenty minutes of our show. Uh, for those of you listening, <laughs> okay. um, thanks for 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 listening to us. There's one more story, uh, and I think you you're really gonna like it from from Derek when, when we get to it. But um, I'm gonna change the subject. Uh, I'm gonna bring the show up a little bit. So. This weekend, uh, I don't know what the hell Jeremy did. Um, this past weekend? Yeah. We went and visited Julia. Went up and It's our place. Took her some groceries. Took her some so stuff. And we took the dogs with this. And let them run through her Especially door. Especially since she doesn't get to go to Disneyland with you. I'm sure yeah. that was not a great consolation prize. <laughs> Dad. So, oh. yeah, we brought the dogs. So, let them run around her. 
dorm room. Hopefully, they didn't pee on anything. I don't. I didn't think they did. But anyway, so she. But she was probably happier to see the dogs than us. But that's yeah, that's my kids do that too. But yeah, so took her some groceries and saw her place and. Anyway, so that was what we did. The rest of us had fun. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so the rest of us went to FanX. I don't know if Justice Friday was that fun. <laughs> Sorry, that was really <laughs> um, But I, I want to talk a little bit about FanX just because it, it is a, a big deal uh, in the state of Utah. And I just, I'm curious, you know, from, from Bree and Jess, what maybe they're, um, we'll, we'll keep it somewhat short, but what was your, your best moment or panel or a person you met or thing you found? What was, what was probably your best experience out of the weekend? I'll go first, I guess. Um, probably my best moment was somebody turning around and saying to me, Hey, I've seen you before. You had a fish last year. <laughs> I made a cosplay impact on Comic Con, uh, so that was pretty awesome. There were well, other awesome moments. I, I, to I, be clear, you are a lost child poster for the security team. That is true, and they're still talking about it to this day. And that was like two years ago. So, um, and a lot of cool little moments. Friday. Brian Brandenburg said there was only six hundred people affected by that. Only. I would be interested to see if that's there, true. There may have only been 600 photos that didn't get picked up. But on here's Friday. the thing. There might have been a lot of people that Friday was their only day. Like, yes. So here's the thing. When I went to go pick it up on Saturday, that was the easiest thing I've ever done at Comic-Con. That's, that's really good. And they should do that with photo ops every time. They should give, like, so they give, it was two, mine was two hours late. I had it with Tim Curry. Thank you, the three of you, for facilitating that. Um, he was, it was two hours late. I am totally okay with that. I know that he is in a different position than any of the other celebrities that were there. He was giving people time. He was probably exhausted. Um, but what happened was as soon as earlier in the day, the network went down. And instead of somebody saying something and holding everything off, they just kept going. And so it snowballed and snowballed. But nobody knew anything. So once you got to the front of the line, you're like, where's my picture? And it's the same five pictures for two hours. Hmm. So, so they put everybody up in this balcony with the pictures no joke, hundreds of people in this balcony. I've never been in an almost like riotous situation, like people yelling at each other. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating like at all. After two hours of no photos coming up, fortunately, my cousin Lindsay was like, Hey, you want to eat? And I was like, yes, I'm coming downstairs yeah. right now. Well, but there was only one way up at the time, the elevator. Like there was a massive line for the elevator because they had the stairs blocked off with a big old piece of wood and nobody knew and you couldn't go up and around because all the doors were closed. Like it was. Well, hopefully, hopefully they learn from the experience and make it better. Oh, point being, so they give you a time for the photo op. They need to do that for pickup. Like you can pick up your photo here after this time instead of like immediate gratification i think the immediate gratification is okay when it works because no, it not. works most of the time i think that they needed to identify that the problem wasn't going to get fixed quicker than two hours and and come up with a solution quicker and I, I think the problem is but the problem is is it made everybody in that whole entire day miss everything well and david tennant's panel jeff goldblum's panel 
uh, Carl Urban's panel and Again, whatever else is going on. It, it's because it took them over two hours to tell everyone. Communication. No, it was way, it was yeah, way longer. But, than but they knew that the problem was a problem and going to be a problem. Even if it goes down for 20 minutes, it's going to It'll affect back everything. up everyone. Mm-hmm. So what they need to do, and, and this is a learning experience. They hadn't had it happen like this before. It has gotten smoother, and we were talking about it last week. It's gotten smoother and smoother and smoother over the last few years, um, the, the handling of it, and they run into a hiccup I there's a couple of issues one no one was smart enough that was in a position of power to say let's find another solution let's tell people they can come back and pick up their photos because I think that's that's a lot of the the anger and so when people are sitting there for two hours you just get super frustrated because you're not doing anything else you've spent money on the ticket you've spent a ridiculous amount of money on most of those photo ops and that's part of why immediate gratification is a big deal it's hard to say I'm going to spend $90 on a picture with a celebrity and have to come back a day later to get that photo. Like that is not something that resonates well with people. Well, I don't think it's that it's it just tell me this. I I would guess the majority of the people if they would have just come out and said there's a problem we're going to fix it we're going to make it right but we're not going to be able to do it right now please go enjoy your con we have contact information for people that have photos because it's all logged yeah, they have phone we will and, send and you notification on how we're going to fix this would that not have calmed down the majority, the majority. of the people for i mean there would sure. still be the assholes who and are there just, were plenty of those and the poor the poor guy who was the security guard guy in charge of that area, like he, I watched him get reamed after, like it. I went well, up to him after because he was talking to one of my favorite security guys, and I was like, "Are you okay?" And he was like, "I'm going to KidsCon area <laughs> to hang out with my wife because that's where she was volunteering." So, well, and like I said, it was made worse because the longer you're there, the more frustrated you get. I, Example. Their, their we, social media is huge. All they had to do was send out a thing, which they did way, way yeah, later. Like, like and, nine and o'clock at night. Not yeah. Very, yeah, not very. Yeah. Uh, it, well, so in honestly, sending out social media to everyone at nine o'clock at night doesn't help a whole lot because when we're already a, passed when, out. Well, when you're in a convention center <laughs> with a hundred thousand people, guess what doesn't work well? Well, especially the convention center in, internet and cell phone data. Especially plans. in the photo op area, like that is the worst place in that whole entire building for reception so so clearly there's something that they can improve and i, I think they will and the they, app, they, they gotta get that app working it crashed over and over uh, every time the schedule is loaded it crashed and it's been that way for years fix the app brie what about you what was your favorite experience mm. any good panels I don't think it was anyone panel. I, I honestly think it was meeting uh, Jay Washington. Good dude. And getting to talk to him. Um, smart guy, fun guy, uh, new breath of fresh air into the con. Um, he's a, his, he's another comedian. He was on the Geek Show panel, and then he did the Jay versus Jay. Um, and he, he moderated the... Um, Legends. Yeah, the Legends panel, and... It looked it looked to be like it was a, a really fun panel, uh, so I thought I thought it was kind of fun getting to meet a new person because Chris and I aren't aren't really ever there to meet the people. Um, we're kind of anti people people. To meet, what she means by meet the people is meet actors and. Well, actors. yeah, like we go there and we we like to support our friends when they're on panels when when they're doing something that we really like, but we like to go to the just 
panels about things that they were interested in and hear about them. And I guess the other thing is, was so it is definitely meeting people this year, which is unusual for me because Deborah Jensen, who Carrie Jackson talked about when we did his, um, his interview as being on the committee, the safety committee, uh, I introduced myself to her and then she happened to be at the geek show, um, showing at, at 50 West afterwards. And I was a little bit drunk. And so when I'm drunk, I'm able to talk to people in person, which I'm not able to do um, <laughs> when I'm not. I, it's kind of weird. You guys just know me from the podcast and I talk here. And it, and so it probably doesn't seem like I'm not able to, but it's something really hard for me to do in person. And I was able to just like walk up to her and and just blurt out, I think that you're amazing. You're a great example of a strong woman bringing up other strong women because she has daughters and she's a professor at Utah State University. And she's she's standing up for people that can't stand up for themselves. And she's also cool and she's funny and she's interested in a lot of things that I'm interested in. And to just be able to kind of gush over her. So she's not no, she's not a star. She's, she's not, not a famous. celebrity. She's not famous to anybody, but maybe, you know, the people here that, that know her and love her, but she was amazing. And she laughed and she thanked me and I made her cry. And, you know, she's, I, I told her about my daughters cause that's just what I do. I tell everybody about my daughters and, you know, so she, she said that it was great that they were going to school and, and so meeting these these two people who are trying to make a difference with through their passions, not just I, I mean, I guess it's kind of like Derek tonight. He's making a difference in our community through something that he's passionate about. So meeting Jay Washington, meeting Deborah Jensen, that was amazing to me because they are they affect my life directly. I mean, Derek is working literally in my community. He works on my block. He works on the block I live on. Um, Deborah and Jay and some of the other geek show guys that are working for LGBTQIA plus stuff. They're affecting my actual community. And to me, they're amazing people. And I enjoy talking to them. Awesome. To do some events. <laughs> Can I just talk about how awesome the hereditary panel is? I was really, really, really worried that it was going to be a spoiler right. and make it really bad. Hereditary, it's the most fantastic movie that's come out this year. I don't know about that. I watched it showed game. a Sundance I, I watched at midnight. Game, I watched Game Night the other day. That was Game Night is movie. really good. That was so good. Game Night's I, did, awesome. I didn't know how it was going to be going in, but it, it was good. It was awesome. I usually but, don't like stupid humor, but that had enough in it that I was okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh... I guess I should say what I yeah. Liked. But it's just I mean I appreciate that you want to go to events, but I specifically only did a couple because I knew our interview would be so awesome today. Um, uh, I, I, it's hard to pick out a favorite thing. Um, it was the Cambodian food, wasn't it? Uh, no. Always we <laughs> yes. had that. I mean, we had that good. twice times twelve. It was good, um, but that was probably not my. It was a this was a bit different kind of con for me like we still did a, a good deal of panels and we were very laid back it was nice not having the girls um that was actually a, 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 a this big isn't difference. our first con without them but it was still a little bit different because no. they weren't even home yeah we didn't really have to worry about anything to do with them um and we just kind of did our own thing which was was nice um i think Probably my favorite thing actually this year was was art. 
Um, there were a couple pieces of art that I found. So first off, there were a couple Magic the Gathering artists. One of the biggest regrets of the last con was I didn't get something from Mark Poole when he was here. Mark Poole is uh, one of the original Magic the Gathering artists. Um, he's one of my favorite artists, and he had he was here and selling stuff, and I didn't get to interact with him. I interacted with both the artists that have done Magic the Gathering stuff, uh, Jason Ingle and Steve Argyle. Um, have done some pretty prolific cards and, and was able to interact with them. But I actually think my favorite piece of art that I found, I, I'll have to find it and, and put it in the notes because I can't remember it, but uh, she does famous paintings with uh, pop culture character just, references. So, for instance, she had a Mona Lisa. The woman in gold this was beautiful. Yeah, so she had Mo- a Mona Lisa, but it was it was uh, Tina for yes. Bob's Burger. <laughs> and so I've got a Rick and Morty one that is the, is it Starry Night? Scream. Or Scream. Scream. Uh, in that style, that's what you I... You bought that one? Yeah, that's what nice. I bought. So I was... That art to me, that, that really spoke to me. A lot of... I'm, I'm very particular now uh, because we don't have a lot of space for art. <laughs> um, and so I'm pretty particular on the stuff that I, I like. Um, and that that's that one, that one really spoke to me, so... He was happy because I picked out a magic a piece of magic art that he, he, he liked. Yeah. I always feel bad because I really appreciate all the artists there, but I'm the same way. I'm like, I only have so much art space and yeah, so, so much money. Yeah, I'm very per- particular about... We, and so, like, I oh, try to... I like some, all of them. We finally got some of the Terry... Little Terry stuff. Oh, nice. Yeah, we finally got some of his stuff because I've been wanting that Ray and BB-8 forever. And Chris was like, would She's you just cute. get it already? <laughs> I need... He, he doesn't carry the one, the next one I want, so... So, anyway, yeah. I, I mean, that's not... I don't know. It's not as cool as your guys's, but I, I still. No, it, that's 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 my experience there. I spend most of the time just wandering up and down, like hours. So there's there's a little bit of something for everyone. We talked about it in, in length last week, but I I just thought we should share what you know stuck out to us this year. So uh, let's let's definitely do some events because we don't have tons of of extra time here. So that's okay. I only have a couple. Um, Last week, I mentioned the uh, Green Urban Lunchbox uh, Harvest Bash. That is this uh, Saturday, and it goes all day. So it's 11 a.m. to 10 p.m., and there's different ranges of tickets. And this is, I, I would assume this is when they release their fall cider that they mm-hmm. collaborate on, uh, but it's a fundraising event. So it's just really putting money back into Green Urban Lunchbox to make sure that the community is getting is this food service. The one they're doing with Mountain West. Yes. Yep. At the Garten. Yep, so it's at the Garten. It's G-A-R-T-E-N. Garten. Garten. Like Kinder. Garten. Garten, yes. So they're doing <laughs> raffles. There'll be auctions. you're talking about the candy. <laughs> they're going to have a bake-off. Right. Um, and some bands. And it's just really to spotlight what Green Urban Lunchbox is doing. Uh, yeah, I like those guys. Um, we've talked to Mountain West Cider. Uh, we've talked to Green Urban Lunchbox folks. Um, so anything we can do to support them, I think, is is good. Absolutely. Uh, the other... Well, there's actually a couple things. Uh, there's only one more month of the summer market, you guys. That's just so crazy. Sad. Yeah. Just wanted to throw that out there. So they, have, they have fruit rotting on the shelves right now out there. Uh, they're, st- they're still doing their Tuesday oh, thing. There's so yes. much fruit at the farmer's market. I was so, so we went Saturday, like one of the tips that we gave last week, uh, and, and uh, it was uh, really... We had breakfast with Jessica in the park. Yeah, it was really tough not to buy... Uh, 
a bunch. I know. Of stuff. I was in a bike. Like, ah, it sucks. I can't really buy anything because we got we're gonna be at the con all day. Uh, but I did try the Rocklet, uh, and uh, it didn't disappoint. That's delicious. I had Buzz's um, pumpkin cider pumpkin. chocolate chai latte. Pumpkin spice thing, latte. Whatever was it was. And it was yeah. warm. And it, it was, was chocolate. No, it was chocolate. No, it was pumpkin spice chai latte. It was chocolate. What? Yeah, it had chocolate in it, in it huh? too. Yep. It did not say chocolate on the board. Yes, it, it just did. said pumpkin spice no, it chai didn't. latte. It said chocolate on the board. Whatever. I got you. <laughs> okay. Um, Another super important event that is this weekend is the Out of the Darkness uh, Suicide Prevention Walk uh, fundraising event that is at Liberty Park. Uh, Registration's at 9 o'clock, and then all the ceremonies and the walk starts at 11. Um, It doesn't cost like a normal walk to register. It's all fundraising. So far, they've raised um, $120,000, and they have over, was it 2,100 registrants? Friday on all of the... Well, not all, but a bunch of the local radio stations aren't they doing that same thing? Uh, yeah. They did it last La- week. So yeah. X ninety six yeah. did a whole. They like it, it wasn't closed just down that, early. It wasn't just X ninety six. There was a handful. It's, so they air that. So they they did the special thing at like nine o'clock last Friday. You can go. You can go get it online. It's available online. A lot of the radio stations actually all of Broadway media broadcast yeah. that. Yeah. Which you know, props to Broadway media because this is. We talk, not, and it's not the first time they've done it. No, and we. Is this the second year that they did that? We try to talk about this stuff, um, you know, as much as we can. Um, it is not uh, an easy thing for people to talk about, but it's important that we talk about it. Um, we're making strides. So the getting the national, you know, seven one one or four one one or whatever the hell the number is. Four one one's information, baby. You know, whatever it is, I don't know. But getting the the movement <laughs> to get that uh, is important. The the legislation that was passed locally to make sure we have twenty four hour access on those hotlines. Um, I actually noticed that that booth was at was at Fanex. I just, yeah, yeah, it was. It was. Um, it, while you're out there walking and supporting people that you know or yourself, um, there I would assume that this goes further than beads, and that it'll probably be shirts as well. Um, but um, there are four different colors that are indicators. What um, color is golf? It's gold. <laughs> oh. That's interesting. I didn't know golf I associate it's gold. with white. <laughs> it's gold. Um, so the gold is a loss of parent. Green is your own personal struggle. Purple indicates the loss of a relative or friend. And then the silver is uh, military and first responders. So just be mindful of that. Maybe even just out and about. Yeah, if you see people wearing those yeah. things. Um, so believe it or not, suicide is, a, well, I'm sure you believe it, is big. With military, I, I know. Oh, my, it's huge! So my dad's been retired for probably sixteen, seventeen years of his unit. He's the only one left, and most. Wow, of them are you suicide. kidding me? Yeah, he's the only one left. Most of them have committed suicide. That's not a. That's not an uncommon thing. The the, the deal with the military is, you uh, are you're trained to do some pretty fucked up shit a lot of the time, um, and and even if you're not, I mean, you, you do get trained to do that stuff in most branches, regardless of what your, your MOU is or what your job is. Um, but when you go out on deployment and you're overseas and, and you're doing these things in a day-to-day life, coming back and adjusting to being a civilian from having such a regimented life and, and job mission and, and 
it's kind of like we'll talk. We talked to Derek about this a little bit as well um, when it comes to the the September 11th stuff. Your life serves this purpose, and when you come back, even beyond the the PTSD that that people suffer, and we now know more about, you are trying to adjust to a lifestyle that is very different. It's very hard, and people that people that don't know what you went through don't understand the difference in in lifestyle so you go from having this very structured style to nothing no structure at all it's a very hard adjustment for people and and you know sometimes it's just them needing to talk to someone about it and you know we now have resources we have um you know groups like out of darkness we have the national suicide prevention hotline um hopefully we'll have uh, that number, by the way, is, is 1-800-273-8255. Um, and we'll, we'll put that in the show notes in, in case you're interested. You have... This is a very serious show. It is. It is. Uh, unintentionally, so... <laughs> oh, it is 9-11. Thank I mean, you for sticking it out with us. But... Uh, and our feelings. It, it's... I, I think it's important to talk about. Um, and Well, you said that it was hard to talk about, and, and it is, and people feel stigmatized by it. So I think the more that we do this... The more that we say there are resources and we don't judge you and and not that we feel bad for you or not oh the, you're, it's so tragic but just we want to help give you whatever you need whether it's space whether it's an ear whether it's a, you know a distraction whatever it is a, a suicide hotline a walk whatever makes it. I'm hoping that in the near future we can see a time where people don't have to be ashamed for feeling suicidal. And so by removing that stigma of feeling that way, I feel like we'll remove a lot of the actual suicide because now you can talk about it. I feel like I want to die. I feel like I want to kill myself. People are afraid to say that. If people aren't afraid to say that anymore, then they can say it to someone who could potentially reach out and help them and stop them from committing suicide. Well, and, and some of it is just having someone to talk to. Most of the time, people in that sort of state of mind in that environment, it's not that they want advice on how to get out of it always. Well, Kara talked about that last. Kara Jean talked about yeah. that last week. Yeah. They just, and I don't think that even being suicidal, I think that we just feel that people don't want to listen to us talk in general. Yeah. So I, I it's important to talk about. I think what they, what out of, out of darkness is doing is, is a big deal. Um, and if you don't want to go to that walk because it makes you too sad or that's not what you feel like you want to support, you're in luck because September is all about basically every walk, whether you want to support ALS or Alzheimer's well, or there's definitely something that you can I, get out there and support. I think it's important for us to talk about it in the state of Utah, especially. I mean, we mentioned, we've mentioned it in news reports and things like that over the, over the time, but like last year, seven students from Harriman high committed suicide. That's, that is a st- Staggering number. I don't care how big or little the school is. Seven kids from the same school in a single year commit suicide. That that says something. Yeah. Um, and and there were two already at Riverton, right? Riverton High. Only one that I know Just of. Just one. But I thought it was two. Yeah. Um, already this year. Um, is that where Maya goes? Mm-hmm. Oh. She knew him. She Oof. knew the boy. It's yeah. actually one of our previous guests' nephews. <laughs> and it's uh, 
So it's something that we need to talk about. It's something that's happening a lot here. Um, honestly, more than in other places. The the teen suicide rate is is very high here. So it's important for us to to have that open discussion. Um, I, I'm, we've got just a little bit more time. Um, I put a few things on there. We'll we'll save the. Let's not talk about the drop today. Yeah, we're, we'll save that. I feel uh, like I just want to cry now. Yeah, don't worry. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna give you one last depressing piece of news. Is what I was gonna say. So, uh, another unique. It's not uniquely Utah thing. Kids get kidnapped. This all is what we're closing on. Yep. Well, no, because we have Derek's interview, <laughs> and, and then we'll we'll close out after that. <laughs> kids get kidnapped all the time. It's a sad reality, especially living in an industrialized country. Um, there was a, a very famous case here in the state of Utah, Elizabeth Smart. Um, just Google Elizabeth Smart if you don't know what we're talking about. Um, one of the things that came out of that, so there were two people involved primarily in her kidnapping, Wanda Barzee and uh, uh, Brian Mitchell. Um, and uh, Wanda Barzee uh, ended up getting a re- sentence essentially she had a federal problem and she had a state sentence um, and she she basically testified against Brian David Mitchell uh, and helped in his prosecution and he was ultimately the 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 ringleader if you will I don't know there's questions as to you know how sane Barzi was to begin with well it's been a long time, guys, since that happened. That was around September 11th. It was like 2002, I think, when she was taken. Um, it's been 15 years since she was sentenced to a 15-year sentence. Her time has been served. So the big she's th- getting out. So the big thing was um, whether or not the time served for her federal sentence would count towards her state sentence. Is that what they just did last, was it last year when they decided that she that she wouldn't be released? Yeah, so that was the initial decision and basically, and, and that was the parole hearing she had. That decision has been reversed um, and she is set to get out at the end of this month. Uh, Elizabeth Smart has spoke out briefly uh, against it. Um, obviously, she was the victim. She said, I don't really understand how this could happen. Um, I don't know if if this woman has been uh, rehabilitated. Well, um, from, from Elizabeth Smart's words, she's saying that she's not participating um, or cooperating with her mental health programs. So if she was mentally disturbed and we're letting her go, it's just another example of how our penal system works against people who have mental health issues. Yeah. They're not going to get help in prison. Well, and it doesn't mean that they're even getting the right help. And, and so that is, is, is definitely in question, I think. And I, it, it's difficult to say one way or the other. I totally get where the victim's coming from. But by the same token, she's 15 years in prison. Think about all that's changed in those 15 years. Well, and just think about all the stuff we were talking about for what we had when when 9-11 happened. Yeah. Uh, you know, the status of cell phones. And, and the internet and social media. Transportation and, even. And so it's... So we give her the benefit of the doubt. I don't know if we give her the benefit of the doubt. I, I, I think you always are wary of still, someone like she's that. She's still a, a, uh, a person with a mental problem. She is, is still a convicted kidnapper. Um, but she's served her time. So I... It's tough for me to say she needs to stay in prison. Yeah, what she did was heinous, 
but we've decided as uh, as a country, fifteen years is the appropriate max. That's not that's not a that's not a, a, a that is maximum time for what she did, and she served the full sentence. She didn't get out early. So how can you not let her out? That's what we've decided. That's the punishment for this crime. Well, and it's not like she's not going to be on parole. So hopefully, hopefully the system works the way it should, and they watch her and they keep an no, eye. No, there is no parole. She served no. her full oh, sentence. I thought that she, she I thought that it said she got it. Sentence. That she when she released, that she still had to be no. under supervision for no. three years. Well, she'll probably have like a halfway house and stuff like that to reintegrate. But she does not have the same kind. It is not parole. She is out. See, I thought that. It says she was also ordered to serve five years of supervised release when she was released from federal prison. When she's released from the Utah State Prison next week, she will still be on federal supervision for approximately three years. Yeah, but that's... that's yeah, okay, so I called it parole, but it's not parole, yeah. but she's going to be supervised. She's yeah, going to be watched. But federal supervision is very different from parole because parole, you have a parole officer that you, you report, in, in, report into weekly, regularly. So what is federal supervision? Basically, they they know where you're at. The tap your lines. They 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 check in on you, make sure you have a job and and things like that. So she will okay. still have some. Of According that. to court records, when Barzi is released, she will have to comply with the requirement of the sex offender registration. She will be required mm-hmm. to check in with a probation officer. Did any you guys fucking told me to read these I, things and you didn't read them? I, I, a special I, condition of Barzi's Barzi's release orders her to participate in mental health treatment programs. So yeah, she's got to report in. Okay, with us today is. Uh, Derek Para. Um, Derek is uh, well, you're quite an accomplished athlete, I guess I would say. Some, yes, he is. I mean, in a, in I'm one just saying, circle or some circles, as they say. <laughs> so, uh, Derek is... Or in the oval. Technically, the all of the circles. <laughs> For those of you that, that don't know, Derek is, uh, is uh, an Olympic gold medalist um, from back in the day. And silver, uh, right? Silver, yes. yeah. How many medals total? Two. Two. And then um, what I what I found even crazier when I was looking at your bio is you have like everything that you could win for inline skating. Eighteen is that correct? Eighteen world titles. Yeah, that was uh, that one was of the reasons why I came over to the ice is that I was hoping that roller sports would be included in the summer games at some point because back in 84, 1984, when I started roller skating, that's what we were being told, and it just never kind of came to fruition. So. Uh, at the age of 26 is when it's I switched like skateboarding. over. Wait, wait, so... Hey, skateboarding's coming in. I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but you say roller skating. Was that like four wheels? Yeah. That was pre-inline? Yep. Started on the old disco skates. Did you, you know? move to inline, though, ever? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, I was oh. one of the pioneers of inline skating. We made that transition in those first years. I was There was a, a very small pro circuit here in, in the U.S., and it moved over to Europe. And in that time when we were switching over to inline skates, um, ice skaters were, or inline skaters are going to ice rinks to try to get better on a bladed skate because it's mm-hmm. a lot more difficult to balance on a millimeter edge than a, than a kind of a yeah. wider inline wheel edge. So all the skaters that were kind of trying to perfect their technique were going over to ice. That's how Apollo got kind of discovered, if you want to say discovered. Uh, the teams in Seattle were going over. One of the coaches up in Seattle said, who is that kid? Because Apollo was very gifted on roller skates. He just kind of floated on the on the rollers. And when they saw him on ice skates, they said, who's that kid? And they said, well, that's his kid. It's a roller skater. He went, Where's his dad? And they kind of talked to his dad. <laughs> and he, he was one of the first ones that went switched over to ice, committed right away. We were all older. We were making some money. We were on some sponsored teams. So we were doing roller skating and uh, inline skating as it switched over. And then we went into ice and did that for a couple of years and switched fully to ice. 
So I, that's probably a good move because I'm not sure that inline skating is is even much of a thing anymore. Not in the U.S. It's yeah. big in, in Europe. I mean, there are still some teams out there, uh, like uh, whether it's a manufacturer of a wheel or a blade or even like a team rollerblade type whoops type uh, team. Uh, they're out there, and there's uh, Grand Prix races. There's ten a year, and they go to the biggest cities like Paris, uh, Milan, and they race downtown. Uh, 10K in the front of crowd, just thousands of people in these big night races. It's awesome. Marathons sometimes as well. And so it's big. You get, you can win a car if you win. You can win $10,000 if you win, that kind of thing. But it, down over in the U.S., roller skating has yeah, declined. You can see it like on Venice Beach. You'll see someone. <laughs> Do they still have those big long ones? You know, I'm talking about those. For rollerblades? Yeah, that are like the really long. They like, well, the, our longest we had when we compet- were competitive were five wheel at 84 millimeter was the biggest. Now they're doing three wheel at 120 millimeter. Wow. Wow. So you're really high off the ground, but uh, it's almost like a cycling uh, disc wheel. They're hard to get going. Once they get going, you're just rolling down the street. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. It's still so, fun to watch, though. So where do you, so you start? So is this like in the '80s? You like went to a roller skating rink and did like the the girls' choice dance on the the rink? You're like, <laughs> ah, I got to do this competitively. <laughs> like, how did that how did that come about? Um, I got into roller skating because my brother uh, went. He was taken by a friend down the street, and he thought it was the coolest thing ever. So. Uh, I begged him to take me and it took a while for him to take me and I finally went and again I walked in there was this disco ball lights music and I was 14 years old so there was some girls there too which was kind of cool uh, I'd never been outside of my, my four block radius so I never saw really anybody that wasn't my color four blocks well I'm not sure how your dads were when you grew up but if my dad came home from work and he whistled and I didn't come home right away, I was in trouble. So I had to stay with that ears distance. I had a little different experience. Yeah. His mom didn't come home some nights. Yeah. So. It was a little different. Like, hey, uh, hopefully you can figure out how to cook for yourself. Like, <laughs> There's food in the cupboard. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I, I was about four blocks. You know, radius was about where I my distance of where I traveled around my house. And then this rink was about seven miles down the road. My dad took us there one day. Uh, well, that's a long way. I mean, that's a long ways away even for, for here. Seven miles is, is a ways. a 14-year-old kid. It was, kind of, yeah, it was actually across the train tracks and down the street into a better part of town. Uh, but he gave me four bucks to get in, and admission and skate rental was three seventy-five. I had a quarter to my name. My quarter was gone in about 30 seconds at a video game because I wasn't very good at video games. <laughs> and uh, luckily that night, there was a, a, um, a two-lap race for age groups. And if you won your age group race, you got a ticket for a free drink and a snack bar. And that's why I started speed skating. <laughs> that's awesome. So it was. It was really the first time you went. You were yeah. like hooked. Yeah. That's I just, really cool. Something about, I, got, I mean, I got dead last, but um, something about being out there on the floor, racing like that, I, I just, I loved it. Connected to me. Uh, no one in my family has ever skated before or since my brother got out of it when I got into it because he thought it wasn't cool anymore taking your little brother to a you know, roller kind of far night <laughs> so it's a good got, thing because then you would have just shown him up and made him <laughs> even worse yeah no yeah, he, he was pretty actually he was a pretty good skater um, he just didn't like being there when I was there I guess and I stuck with it and it took me you know, all over the world and then here to Utah with the games So, and you uh, you uh, grew up in Southern California right yes sir so and then so you came to Utah. Was your first time in Utah when you were doing the Olympics? Actually, no. Um, there was a roller skating competition at the cl- uh, is it classic skating? Classic, classic. yeah. <laughs> I, back in nineteen, like, I think it was like it maybe ninety two or ninety ninety two, maybe it was. It was an invitational. Uh, a guy who was running it, uh, Steve. I think his name was Steve Carell or Carroll. 
he actually if you go to the if you go to the Grizzlies games right now he's the he's the African American guy always getting people pumped up to, oh, okay. to I think I think it's him it looks just like him but um, <laughs> he he flew me out here and said hey I got a competition he, myself a guy named John Trevina who was from Colorado to come out here and, and try to pump this competition up and we came out and raced the weekend so I flew in he picked me up stayed at his house was at the rink all day both days and then flew me back to the airport and I was gone. Um, but that was my first time in Utah. I didn't see much of Utah, but uh, <laughs> I was the first time I was here. But when I came back in 2000, 2001, um, I thought it was a great place. It reminded me a little bit of Southern California. I lived in San Bernardino, which was in a valley, not mm-hmm. quite as beautiful as this, but it was a valley. And I remember coming off of uh, I-80 into the valley going, this feels like home. It's a little bit higher in elevation, though, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. It took a while to get used to that. So uh, you come up here, and obviously that's that's then to train for the Olympics in 2002, right? Yeah, they want us to get used to the ice conditions and the altitude. Because it's very different. Like, training at altitude is, is crazy different than, than coming from sea level. Yeah. Um, so you, you were up here, uh, trained at the Oval mm-hmm. then, because it was... It was it's just then. built. Yeah, yeah, it was just built. Actually, if you remember, built. the roof collapsed on the, on the south do. end of the building. I do. So we got here in December of 2000, unpacked our bags, packed our bags. They, we drove up <laughs> to Butte, Montana. Oh, okay. And we were outdoors in Butte, Montana for about, uh, I'd say, three or four weeks. We ended up having our national championships there. We stayed in a hotel. Um, qualified for some World Cups, went to World Cups, then came back in f- right before f- the February test event, which is a year out from the games, and the rink was was done, the roof was was built, and uh, we skated our first competition there, and it was uh, I had a good one that, that I had a good race that uh, competition as well, and kind of put me on the map a little bit. So you did 2002 Olympics. Did you do the 06 Winter I Olympics? I competed in 06, coached in Vancouver, and actually I made the team in '98, but was unable to skate because of a clerical error the night before. The oh, no oh. way. No way. Yeah. That, that like is the they, really spell, worst. they spell your name wrong? Like, that's way yeah, worse. Like it was one R. That's way worse than, like, an injury or something, because at least then, like, you legitimately can't skate, but to be there and be all psyched and... I was there, yeah. I mean, I was... You've trained the whole time coming up <laughs> to it. And, so, uh, yeah, so really quick, like, I, you know, I, I saved about $30,000 in my inline skating career. I used that 30000 to finance my switch to the ice. I was in Milwaukee for about a year and a half to qualify for the games. By the time the trials came, I was broke. I had, literally had $0 in my bank account, but I made the team, which I thought was cool. Went to Japan, and when I got there, I was a 32nd ranked skater in the world, which, uh, which gives me the last qualifying spot for the 5,000 meter, which I qualified for by American standards. And in the days between the, when I arrived and the first event, which is the day, the first day's event after the opening ceremonies, uh, a skater from the country of Kazakhstan, his time was misentered, and he was actually ranked ahead of me by point oh, zero one two seconds. Up his time. Oh man. Zero one two seconds. So when the the night before the race, they validated all the times, make sure everything's correct, and they figured out that his time was incorrect. They called us and said, Hey, Derek's not skating tomorrow. Oh. So just devastated. <laughs> uh, my parents who had never seen me race ice speed skater at a at a competition before, at a you know at a major competition before the Olympics for that matter. Flew to Japan. They arrived. They arrived right after I found out I wasn't racing. And I went out into the parking lot and they arrived like in a taxi because they flew in from, from Tokyo and, and they said, Hey, you were so excited. When do you race? And I said, Hey, I'm not racing. And it was, it was, it was pretty tough. And, but, um, but I mean, if you look at things, I had to learn to look at things in hindsight. And if I realized that if I was, if I did skate back then, 
I probably wouldn't have skated four more years later because my dream at that point was just to get to the games, just walk behind my country's flag, be part of that incredible you know, experience of walking at the opening ceremonies, compete, I would have probably got last because I was ranked last, and then went on my life. But because I didn't get to skate, I came back and I, I told myself, I, I want to compete at the Olympics. I want to become a legitimate Olympian. And I stuck around four more years and had success here. That's crazy. So I got to ask you, because clearly you would have stayed in the Olympic Village with all the athletes. I did uh, for <laughs> the last night. Uh, I, was, I was pretty focused. I, I stayed, actually, I stayed at a what we call our safe house, just mm-hmm. behind the Oval. So I lived in Park City. We stayed there two days before our event. We came down, spent the night here so we can get a little bit more oxygen. Raced, went back up, came back down, and then I went to the village the last night. Oh, okay. So you just stayed in the village here one night. What about in Japan? Did you stay in, in yep. the, the, the dorm yep. style housing? There and in 06 and in Vancouver. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious because you've, <laughs> you've, you've had the experience. This is not a question that, that you get asked ever, I'm sure, but uh, is, it, is it really like just this crazy like sex crazy thing no. like 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 after i mean because because what i we did what a I, new story on it for the, it's last the condom Olympics, thing right so. yeah, yeah. Well, but it's not just the condom thing but i i mean you hear stories from <laughs> olympians too because i mean really once you're done with your event it is it's kind of party time because you've you've been training up to that moment for that and then it's celebratory after that win or lose like you're still all that pressure's off and now you can relax and so you hear stories about the uh olympic babies well i I mean the other the other thing too is i mean truthfully the other thing too is you have a whole bunch of you know physically top beautiful people yeah young they're at the peak (laughs) of their physical you know careers they're they're you know the guys are all massively fueled with testosterone (laughs) because they're all athletes and so i mean you're you're putting them all in a situation where (laughs) That's going to happen. There's there some, I mean, there's different situations. You've got some athletes that are coming in that race the first day and then they're gone because they have to go somewhere else to race or they have a world championship afterwards or something like that. You're like ice skating. That happens a lot with ice skating, right? They have a whole bunch of competitions after the Olympics. A lot of yeah, we still do. Uh, but some people will stay at home because if they, if it's, what's difficult about being at the games is that there is all those bells and whistles, right? You get the village, you've got yeah other teams and you might start not being quite as focused as you should be. So some teams will have their, their athletes fly in just days before, if it's at the same altitude, or come in early and stay at another house, like you know, like the Dutch do sometimes. Yeah, they stay nice. away, they practice certain times. Uh, and then they, they compete and they leave. Um, it, it just depends. You might have someone who has great success early on, and they might be on the circuit, so they don't have any time to spend in, in the village. You might have... If anything does go on, it's probably the the ones that aren't really focused, aren't really competitive, so it's have like a lot of the free curling time. Team. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they're good now. It's like place twelve through thirty six. Don't you worry, we will get there. <laughs> but, but I you, want you to know the only event that I saw on the Olympus was here was speed skating. Was it? Which yeah. which uh, short track or long track? I don't remember. Uh, we big, our boss big uh, track uh, or small little hockey Oh rink. man, I'm too old to remember that. Apollo or me. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. So, I just remember that my boss bought us all Olympic sweaters and bought us all tickets and said, which events you want to go to? And I went, I freaking live in Kearns. I want the Olympic oh, Oval. Yeah, I don't want to go far. <laughs> I don't want to go far because I just, at that time, I lived just on the other side of the Oval. So now I live oh, okay. on the west side of the Oval before I lived on the east side of the Oval. So, yeah. So it was to hard be, to get tickets back then. To be clear, there are no giant Olympic sex orgies going on. No, but what's you funny... Know, <laughs> you know <what> <laughs> it's, it's funny because uh, in Vancouver, this was the first 
the real first big story came out in Vancouver when you went into the athlete health and wellness or fitness center was which a gym slash you had some uh, trainers there and some massage therapists all part of the Vancouver hospitality for athletes when you walked in there was a, a bowl a big think of a big mixing bowl a big wooden mixing bowl that was just really literally full of condoms it was almost yeah. like like mints right if, if you go to <laughs> if you go to a health department like a public health department and damn near any state in this country there's a big bowl of condoms for you yeah, like oh, it's it's very common. I've never been to one of those before, but yeah. I, I can get the picture as I think <laughs> about Vancouver. But I walked in, going, I took a double take, and went, "What the heck?" But uh, as a speed skater, you, you don't really see that a lot. It, it may be with the bobsled teams or some of the other teams, but you, you just never know. Sometimes people come in couples. You meet on the circuit. Uh, there are some speed skaters that I had admired in my day, and other people had hooked up from different teams. I'm sure in every sports like that. But there are funny stories because. Um, I had heard a story. I wasn't at these games, but in '92, I believe it was Lily Hammer with uh, Oksana Bayul, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know where you think Oksana is on a scale of one to ten, but apparently, a lot of people thought she was in the lower part of the scale before she won and after she was like a twelve. So, look <laughs> wise, yeah, I had, I had a friend who was there and said it was crazy because. No one even looked at this girl, like the and then she picks. won, and all of a sudden, everybody's all the guys are trying to you know to, to hook up with her, I guess. But um, every, it's just every, like it's just like in nature. Metal. It's well, no, but it's just like in nature, man. You want to breed with the best <laughs> of, of the best. Not even right? gonna go there. So you good skating legs. <laughs> Look, we have that? instincts too. We're not that evolved yet. <laughs> But you, you just never know. I mean, I think every every Olympic experience is different. Um, there's an, an American. Olympics and there's a European Olympics. Mm -hmm. uh, the rule books are the same, but the interpretation is different, so to speak. So you can get a lot way, way with a lot more over there than you can here. It's just different cultures. So, um, but in my experience, uh, even in 06 when I was a kind of a skater coach, I was more helping out my athletes and skating myself than I was out partying. Uh, but you do see you, there are some athletes who've been sent home because they've gotten drunk and gotten arrested or punched their friend in the face or something. You never yeah, know. it's testosterone, man. Yeah. I'm telling you. Uh, so you you live here, right? You live in Salt Lake. I live in Draper. Draper. Yes. Um, so what? At what point did you decide this is where I'm going to make my home? This is the place. Yeah, my, <laughs> uh, I mean, when he came down I-80, he already said that. Well, he that decided it was a good place. He didn't say I'm going to be <laughs> here for the rest like of my home. home. Yeah, when I came on I-80, when I first moved here, it definitely I had this feeling of uh, familiarity with, with Utah because it's in a valley and then you saw the mountains and, again, much prettier than it was in, in uh, Southern California. But uh, after the games here, I had a very unique experience. I had success with the games. I was working at Home Depot, you know, in the years before and after. Uh, I met a lot of great people, um, experienced a lot of events here, and it just, I mean, just really felt like home. I, I, I lived, I've lived in California, Florida, Maryland, Delaware, Wisconsin, and here in my career wow. of traveling what? to following coaches or training for inline skating and then ice skating. And this is the best place. Uh, yep. I, I mean, the only thing we're missing is an ocean. If you like the ocean, I don't like ocean. An ocean, I'm a little scared of water. You been to Bear Lake? <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. Go I've to Bear Reservoir. If you miss the ocean, go to Bear Lake. Okay, well, it's close, right? You okay. can yeah, get there. Well, yeah, and it's it's close, and they have there are a couple beaches that are nice and long and sandy, like you oh. can get at the ocean. So you can, yeah. If, if you, you miss the smell, taste. just go to the Salt Lake. <laughs> I I rode through the island, and that was horrible. Yeah. That does not smell the like the ocean. The, <laughs> the ocean does not you, smell like okay, the Great Salt Lake. You go to Disneyland every year. Do you not have a beach day? No. What the? What What is wrong with Beep. you? How do you not? The beach day, by the way, it's free. 
The beach is free, Jeremy. My, My kids, kids don't want the beach person. day. Your they kids just... are weird. My kids were like, Mom, do we have to go to Disneyland? Can we <laughs> yeah. just go to the beach? They're like The last couple of days, they're like, do we really have to go back to Disneyland? <laughs> But your kids were much older. Uh, That's true. I was well, starved for your life as a young kid. That's why I don't like the beach so much. My two oldest Somebody sharks? Jaws? Almost. I, I was at like around between the ages of 12 and uh, 8 and 12 on a baseball team. We had our banquet or our day there at the beach and I was on a boogie board and apparently no one remembered that I was on a boogie board oh, and no. I drifted out to, to huh? sea and, and I tried kick, kicking back on a boogie board to get back and the tide took me, you know, and I kept going <laughs> further and further down and by the end when I finally got back ashore it was about a mile down the beach and I remember dragging my boogie board the whole time I was probably crying because I was a young kid and I got back to the where our pit was with all of our baseball players and I got my boogie board and I threw it at my coach and said I could have died you know because I was I was yelling oh, and screaming help yes. help and no one could hear me and, and I was just kept drifting out to, you know in the ocean and then shark what <laughs> where do you think he was in the barrier reef <laughs> <laughs> hey, you never know. Sharks, yeah. even alligators. So, yes. so if you like a beach, you can go. You can go somewhere else. But I, I just love the mountains, the the um, possibilities for activities. I live in Draper, so right by Corner Canyon, mountain biking. I can skate here. Uh, if you want to swim, there's a recreation KOPFC right here. That's an intense um, hill over there. To it's fun. They're great. Up. Yeah, Whew. I have dogs. I love to, uh, wine runners. I love to run them. They run all over the trails out there. Yeah. Uh, you have dogs. Concerts. You don't have dogs. You have motors. Yeah, with tails. they they go. They go. <laughs> They're wine runners. I can take it for two hours out, come back, they'll, they'll lay down for about 20 minutes and they're ready to go again. <laughs> well, that's the right kind of dog for someone that wants to be out doing lots of exercise yeah, on a regular they're, basis. They're, they're great. They're great. And yeah, there's concerts here. The downtown, it's not a huge city, but it gives you that city feeling. It, I mean, you've heard the phrase, I'm sure, Small Lake City, which it is. You meet people and I like that. I, I like talking to people. Heck, you guys just called me up and I came over here from work. It's I don't it's know so that. It's so convenient. Yeah, imagine that happening anywhere else, but uh, it's, a, it's great people great place I go and, nine uh, miles and so how california f- is like 45 minutes <laughs> right i mean I- <laughs> well literally like when we go to the gym in the morning so we get up at 4 30 and we go to the gym it takes us like two and a half minutes to get there it takes us three if we have to stop for the light <laughs> yeah so i mean kern's ochre park is is great I, I love that rec center and the, the oval and everything but how do you feel about working in gangland <sighs> it's not it's gangland you <laughs> suck i don't Really, like all the shootings happen that. over there too. No, well, we we did we were on lockdown one day because yeah. well, it was a funny thing. Um, Do you guys go on lockdown when the school has yes. an issue? Yeah, like if someone's out there as an active really? shooter, we lock our doors because yeah. they might come over to our building. You never know. But uh, mm-hmm. our our former um, operations vice president was up on uh, like let's say a Tuesday up in Park City at the Olympic Park. And, and he said it was such a contrast because on Tuesday he went out there, he's got an office with a window, he, they look outside and there's a moose running through the, you know, the mountains up there. And then the next day he came here and there was a day there was a shooting or, <laughs> or something. So he pulls up into the parking lot and we're on lockdown. He can't get in. There's cop cars everywhere. And it was such a contrast from Park City to here. Well, that, that crazy drive-by that happened a few months ago where the guy like shot and then tried to get away and sped off and like killed a couple by like running the vehicle into them head on yeah but that was right there on 54th right by nobody was nobody was at the rec center at that point it's nighttime 
and and I don't I don't hear about this. It's usually after because I get to work and kind of we're in a bubble, right? You, yeah. You and then you go home, you're like, holy shit, that was three blocks away. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I, I've lived in other places where there's well, you so much more crime. <laughs> yeah, so much more crime. Again, this is, it's relatively low here, and um, and a lot of times I was telling people that there the crime is so limited, or it's yeah, such a small piece that you do hear about it because mm. it's kind of big news. Where in California, I mean, there are multiple crimes a day all over the place, and it's just it's sad. And this is really a safe place. See, I told yeah. you. Good deal. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's no Draper is all I'm saying. <laughs> so I got to ask you, um, do you still inline skate? Do you have rollerblades that you take out? Do you hook your wine runners up and let them like pull Maybe he has Porsche. I he's do like that, like Caesar Milan. Or is well, yeah, Caesar? yeah. Caesar does that. Let's yeah. tell you into town. Yeah. No, I have, I do have some uh, <laughs> recreational ones that I've, um, I've, I think the last time I used them was probably two two years ago. Oh, so I, even you have given up on it. Well, <laughs> so here, here's here's the catch. So I started dating my current fiance, and she wasn't good in a bike, and I was better on skates. So I rode with I skated with her while she, she rode her bike. Behind? But unfortunately, she almost killed me because she, I was <laughs> warning her about the gates on the trail that kind of overlap each other, and oh, I said. Yeah go slow through there where she went fast hit hit the gate turned sideways and I almost oh. leaped her um, so that was one of the reasons why I haven't done it in a while but also I have a pair of aggressive inline skates and once in a while I'll sneak up to uh, Olympic Park or the, the Center of Excellence the Center of Excellence for a ski team yeah that's where they have a half pipe. The, the, her retreat oh okay yeah, yeah they have a half pipe back there uh, just a, you know it's a full half pipe yeah. so I either go to a skate park and the one I actually went on 103rd, 103rd South, I think, and like 70th is awesome. It's a little pump park. Not the or, one that's over there right there by the Kearns? No, that's the bull isn't great. That pool isn't great. It's not doesn't have great uh, lines for flow. But the one over in uh, on 100 on 70th, I think it is, and 103rd is awesome. It's at a park. I can't remember the name of the park right now. But um, I was there one day, and this little kid comes up to me, and he says, Hey, are, are you a dude or are you a dad? And I go, um, <laughs> I'm a little bit of both, you know? And he goes, well, come follow me. I'll show you where to go. And he, this little kid in a little BMX bike took me through all the little pump lines and showed me the way to go. And I was like, Dude, sweet. So I went out there and was getting some, you know, some air off this pl uh, plateau and everything. But uh, that's a lot more fun for me. Uh, if I get hurt, it's not so fun. But uh, between that and, and hockey is where I get my exercise and mountain biking, things like that. But I don't get the recreational and for sure not the speed skate in lines anymore uh, I've sold those I've given the wheels away just because there's not anywhere around here to, to use them yeah. you have to have a, a pretty clean uh, pretty clean area or street and pretty otherwise you just go like fast. hit a rock and jack Oops. yourself up real fast yeah it, you could happen pretty quick I keep hitting this wire sorry about uh, that you need that on a shirt are you a you're dude, a dude or a dad? Dude or a dad. Yeah. Jeremy's a dad, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you're wondering, solid. Nobody dad. has ever asked Jeremy if he was a dude or a dad. No, that's never come up. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, Chris, nobody's ever asked you that either. No, that's because I'm a dude. You must feel pretty fortunate that we live in a place that our Olympic Park is fully functional. Our venues are, yeah. yeah. We're the only. Uh, I mean, well, Calgary still has an ice rink that's publicly used because it's attached to the university. But if you look at all the games uh, pretty much since then and after us, uh, actually the heads of committees are coming to us. They come on trips here yearly asking us, how are we still able to provide these 
you know, these sports and these programs after the games is a legacy. And we, we try to tell them what we're doing. And uh, Colin Hilton, who's our CEO, has really done a great job of make, helping us make great programs and using the, the, the uh, endowment to help hire good coaches and get some retention from kids and teach them the long-term athlete development like philosophies that we, ha- that we have about, you know, multi-sport and ha- making it fun. Say, and, yeah, multi-use. Because I know that at least they used to have indoor soccer in the center. Yeah. Well, we took it out because uh, when the U.S. short track team became the home, uh, their home became the Oval, we had to make a choice between the revenue stream, which was nice, of uh, the soccer, indoor soccer, or having a $300,000 padded system that's safer for our skaters. And then we have our our top athletes here. So, and it's our, it's one of our sports. So we brought them here and ended up kind of axing the, uh, Indoor soccer, but that was that was fun. That's okay because there's like a million indoor soccer, (laughs) like indoor soccer stadiums. It was fun uh, to watch that though during the day. There were some guys that were. How many ankles did you see broken? (laughs) Uh, Not a lot of sprains, but people got vicious. They were. I mean, uh, we we called. I mean, at one point I called the Telemundo League (laughs) because a lot of a lot of Latin American teams would come in and they would rent the, the 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 area the the field all day long and they would have soccer games all day long and they were so good to watch yeah and they are they're so fast so many busted wrists and elbows and and ankles in indoor soccer it's crazy how aggressive I mean when you're 35 and you got nothing better to do (laughs) (laughs) they're good I was impressed at the skill those guys had it blows me away that these other places that host the Olympics let their venues fall apart after it just I don't understand that they're holding them in weird places like we had the winter Olympics that's not weird well, no, I don't mean like that, but I mean like, well, for That's instance, the very, last, the very last Olympics or the, even the one before that, they're building those arenas in places to fit the people that aren't places where people in their countries go. Yeah. Like, like Sochi. Yeah. Sochi, they built right. Sochi to host the games. That's why there's a $55 yeah. billion dollar cost because there, Sochi was just before just, just a little land. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't even vacation like, area, but they created yeah, like, a, like a little resort village yeah. at best. Well, they created that yeah. to host the games. And they, so that was all part of the funding. Um, Korea, they made their buildings all together in clusters, mm-hmm. but I'm told that they're no longer in use. The stadium for the Olympic for the Olympic opening ceremonies and closing ceremonies was um, temporary. They literally just reeled it in, took, you know, planted it and wheeled it back out. Huh. Well, um, look at Braz- what's happened to Brazil oh, yeah. already. I mean, their soccer stadiums are overgrown and taken well, back I by mean, nature. Look, they, they built a freaking soccer stadium in the middle of the Amazon. The only way to get to it was by boat. You had to fly into a town and then boat in to get to this soccer stadium. Not those like... And it's like this Amazonian, <laughs> like, I'm but, sure they have but what, you, what business do you have building, like, a 60,000-seat yeah, stadium in no an area like that? people are going to go. That's what I mean by a weird place. I don't mean, like, the country was weird. I just mean, like, all of our stuff is places where we go. Like, well, this I mean, is an established at, place. Park City is an established place where people go. They It's a destination already. And so now they're just bonus things up there well i mean yeah if do. you if you look at what they actually had to build for us for for 2002 they didn't build a ton just the venues right yeah, i mean a couple of them not even well all there was the pre-build to get yeah. the to get the bid right. right they had to put an ice rink here that was outdoors they had to put some jumps up in park city and so on then when they awarded the bid they had to build a cover over the oval and so on and make the the hills better than the, the bobset track but if you look at there's, there's two really mindsets to the IOC, I think. One is, or half of the committee is, let's spread the Olympic uh, you know, ideals and morals to new places around the world. And there's the other half that says, let's keep it where it's been successful. And, I mean, if you look at the, the expense of it, that's a, a very, very good plan because you, we, we say, or I would say, with some people that I know, let's pick like six cities where it's been, you know, 
really successful and you just kind of rotate through there summer and winter you go back to LA it was big you know see how Paris yeah. does any of the the really good hosted cities get an opportunity to get it back and we're, we've we're, showed success so you're you saying you want to see it back. oh yeah oh, yeah, oh I'd sure. love to have it back yeah. I missed it I moved out of the well we have state. a better we have a little bit better transport uh, infrastructure for our a transportation. We, we have, have a lot that. better. Have well, I mean, they started there. building some of it, but I mean, it's still not the greatest. It's an old DC, but you know, like it's we're it's, better than we were. For most places that I've been to for Olympics, it's it's really good. And everybody that I've talked, I know people that have been to five or six Olympic games. They said this one was the best games they've been to. That's good. That's a that's that's high praise from people that have been to a lot of games to to get that kind of feedback from them. I mean, it ran so smoothly. The drive time wasn't really affected that much. It was still 45 minutes to Park City. Uh, I know people, I, so I speak on like the speaking circuit, and I met people, and they said, yeah, we had a home here. We put it up for rent, and then we were, because we thought it was going to be crazy. Everybody was anticipating this massive influx of people. And about, what, a weekend, people were calling us saying, hey, it's, it's normal. So they came back, stayed an hour or two outside of town, and came and watched hmm. events because they yeah. want to be part of it. It was yeah. fun. It well, was yeah, I don't remember it being like crazy. I, I mean, it, it had its moments, downtown, but, maybe right. But overall, it was. I mean, the biggest usual. The, I mean, the biggest scare by far was the snow. Like, yeah, that we almost didn't I, have. I, yeah, I remember like they're getting ready to do you know the skiing events, and there's just no snow. But we had we had a good dump in November, if I remember correctly. It was a pretty good base, and then it was really strange because I was part of the opening ceremonies, and I remember we were walking over to Rice Cycle Stadium, and it was these just blue skies it was cold but it was blue skies and all of a sudden as the, as the ceremonies began clouds came over and then it, we had some great snow oh yeah we had throughout. fantastic snow yeah. before but we were it was it was, yeah, it was really like scary it. <laughs> yes. it's a good thing we didn't have the Olympics last summer, last year right holy yeah. cow well, well it can't be any worse than Vancouver was when they were yeah. bringing in snow and dumping it or Sochi for that matter yeah and, and it's uh, I mean it is nice though because you you know you you now have a, a career here somewhat tied to that right with with KOPFC that's Kern's Ochre Park Fitness Center for well I'm with the foundation know, the Olympic yeah, Foundation. Yeah. Olympic we are actually on their land they they there was some kind of like a dollar a year lease for thirty years yeah, uh, yeah. so we're on their land but my my went for I went from coaching or skating to coaching development to coaching Olympic team and then the with US speed skating and then the foundation which operates the venues hired me as a youth outreach director, which turned into me kind of running speed skating events and then turned into director of sport over so, the years. And, and so the foundation, does that, are they the ones that run the Olympic Park up in Park City and everything yes. else too? And that that's another place where you see like incredible decision and use. Like the Olympic Park in the summertime is fantastic. Is and, and you wouldn't think that, you, you wouldn't think that like, a couple ski jumps and and some crazy downhills and a bobsled are going to have those be something freaking that you tubes can, are awesome. We have yeah. the extreme tubing now. You have the uh, zip tour. You got zip lines. You got the adventure courses. Yeah. Uh, what do you, you call alpine slide. slide? Yeah, the bobsled track. The, like, the aerial show on Saturdays. So it's it's definitely a visitor's destination in the summer for people who come into town. And this we have our programs here in the summer. Uh, Soldier Hollow now has some programs as well. But they do a lot of different things. But the we were very lucky in that there was over $100 million in, in, in surplus after the games. Uh, you know, Mitt and his team did a great job of raising that money or having success at the games. They paid back all the debt they owed. It was about $87 million, I think, that was what was left over. That went 
into our endowment fund, and ever since then they've been running off it. And and at first uh, the venues are losing about six million a year in operating costs for you know snow removal and things like that. But over the time that more people have come in, the programs are better. We're getting retention. That's we're now at about four million dollars a loss, but we also make about four million dollars in the market because they're investing well. So we've been kind of riding that line for a while to to keep these these uh, venues open. And I think it's great for the for the people. And we also I'm not sure people notice know this, but we subsidize every uh, education or learn to program, every youth program. It, we don't charge the actual cost of what it really costs to, for to freeze that ice. It costs us eighty five thousand dollars a month just to freeze yeah. the three sheets of ice. Ice time is that ridiculously does not expensive. Me, though, you go it's back. It's not like it's not like you can just dump a bunch of water out there and hope it freezes well, nicely. And in, in the summer, one hundred degrees summer. And that that's actually part of why. So hockey used to be humongous uh, here. Uh, in high schools, like most schools had hockey teams, oh. and that's gone away because ice time is just too expensive. So I mean, like like we're, Cypress and we're Murray cheap compared and, yeah. to most. I mean, if you go back east, it's four hundred dollars an hour. If you come here, it's two hundred dollars an hour. But still, I mean, two hundred dollars for a school is is crazy. So to to have a facility like that that's open year round. That's I remember the in high thing. school the the hockey teams. Yeah, and they're just not around anymore. I there's only that. there's only there's only two sheets of ice. I heard back before the games. Oh no, so. No, 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 that's yeah, well, not yeah, true. But that's had, not true because, like, so Cypress High School used Cypress to have its own a, hockey rink. Mm-hmm. Murray had its own hockey rink. Murray still does actually have a hockey rink. Does Cypress still have that? Should they tear uh, it out? Well, the building's there, but there's no more rink. They don't they use took it out for, the ice. for hockey. They took out the ice. So there was a there was a there was a bunch back in the day. There, there's not w- more west or east or one of those. Yeah, one of those two schools also had it, one. So yeah, I had it, no idea. Wow. Yeah, so I mean, hockey used to be huge here, and it's you know it's obviously it's not anymore, and we don't have a lot of outdoor rinks either. Like a lot of outdoor ice is is not a thing. So to have one, that's, or the Gallivan, yeah, yeah, there you go. Well, yeah. To, to, <laughs> have, to have one that's year round is is really special. Yeah, that's huge. And there's there's not a lot of that out I've there. I've skated so. on the Olympic Oval because it's right by my house. Well, it's anyone fast. can. That's it's what's so cool. Freaking cool. So we're trying to talk Chris into curling. Because hey. you have it. It I, started in I'm August. I'm convinced right? I could do it because those guys look like professional bowlers. So <laughs> <laughs> I've, got know, I've got the physique for that. You know, the, the actual, um, how should I say, the actual motion of curling is is not that difficult. The hardest thing about learning to curl is being able, if you want to slide like the Olympic, uh, Olympic curlers slide and deliver the stone, that's the hardest part because you've got to balance on this really slippery Teflon sheet that's under your shoe in lunge position while you're holding a broom and a stone and trying to deliver it online. That's the hardest part. That's Jeremy's job. Well, then you got to put your beer down, though. That's what makes it the hardest yeah, part. You've got to be really <laughs> good at it. We don't sell alcohol in the oval, you know that. <laughs> no, you just come in and pregame it. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to get good at it, it, the skill that it takes to learn the 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 speed of the ice and the curl of the ice that's what's pretty incredible and if if you watch that I'm sure you watch that game with uh, team Schuster the some of the throws that they were doing were uh, the deliveries were unbelievable it's just crazy that they could time it where this their speed to curl in around between two stones and then hit the one in the center and stay in it yeah. it's just i'm just it's I, pretty exciting I, to I'm watch just me pretty stoked the game. that shuffleboard is an olympic sport you can be it may be it may be don't i wouldn't count your Someday, derek para will be saying that you're unbelievable if you just go try it you could be it takes focus and commitment i promise he will never say i'm unbelievable in a good way <laughs> <laughs> i am not saying he won't say i'm unbelievable but it probably won't be in a complimentary way. You come and try it. You should come and try it. We have learned to curl classes on Fridays. You have to ask Jessica's finger question because I oh, yeah. always wonder the same the what? 
thing. Well, why don't one of you ask it? Well, it's Jessica Jessica's question. Ask. You want to ask it? Please ask it because <laughs> I want to know the same thing. I'm a huge Winter Olympics fan, and watching you guys hit those corners in a bunch. Did you ever think like? Oh, in short please track? keep my fingers. Please keep my fingers because those oh. are sharp skates too. And yeah. you guys are skating pretty close together. At least that's what it looks like on TV. It looks scary. You're, you're close. You're going about 35 miles your, an hour. When you a, take those corners. Nine meter radius. Uh, you, you're pushing about, they say it's like three G's in the turn hey. on one leg. Uh, that's almost turn. what it was in my aerobatic flight. That's amazing. <laughs> so it, it takes a lot of strength to be in that position. You're not, I don't, I've never really heard a lot of uh, fingers being cut um, <laughs> or, or, or hit. Uh, it's typically, if you crash or in like the pads, are kind of, but these guys are wearing from from neck to toe or neck to ankle and, and wrist um, cut resistant suits is it underneath. Kevlar? Oh. Yeah, underneath they, their gloves are cut resistant. They have uh, these um, friction resistant tips so they can slide on the on the ice oh. and the turns. So you're pretty well protected. The only thing that's really exposed is your face. Oh, that's you know that's now we're wearing part of you. Well, now we're so wearing helmets, here, but right here we're wearing helmets to go to here. Uh, they don't. Uh, in the past, they've always recommended. Uh, eyewear now they they may go to, to uh, make it mandatory, but you, you're not supposed to show any skin. And if you're if you're a smart skater, uh, you you wear the protective gear all the time. It's just like it looks terrifying still though. It's actually a cool feeling. If you go out there and you're three G's ripping really? through a turn, you're pivoting and you hear the ice going. And you, oh, the and sound is amazing. You, but you, you hear the you know the people behind you and everybody, and it's just a great feeling. You're you're going through the force of a turn. It's exciting. It's and really then exciting. you're me, and you get freaked out, and you slam into the wall because you <laughs> can't handle it. Do you miss it? Even I, though you're you're around it quite a bit still. Uh, I miss I miss a couple things. I miss one the competition, uh, but I really miss that every day trying to find like one percent to be better. You know, whether it's it could be a millimeter of movement or timing. Uh, I mean, if you want to, if you guys are golf fans at all, you equate to golf of hitting a ball straighter or further. It's just, a, I mean, it's a little bit more lag or the, the club head has to be a little bit straighter or more flush when you hit it or square. Skating's like that. If you push fast and, and just hard, you're not going to go fast. You have to be patient within the push and push at the right time to get the maximum weight transfer and, and, and force from your skate. Uh, when I, when I was learning, I was, Number one in the world on roller skates, on inline skates. I was the fastest man in the world. I just came back from running the sprint race. I went to the line in Milwaukee, and I, I was racing against a 14-year-old skinny twig of a kid, <laughs> and he smoked me in a 500-meter race. <laughs> and a 500-meter is a race of power and speed. Yeah, that's This quick. kid, I mean, to go out and look at a 14-year-old undeveloped kid who maybe was probably shortest in his, in his class, he skated away from me because he knew how to skate. And at that point, I said, okay, I'm, I've got to do something a little different. I knew how to push on inline skates, but not, not on ice skates. And so um, I, I miss that searching for that perfection, if you want. And even my race that I won, and set a world record, it wasn't perfect. I made some mistakes, but I think trying to raise that bar every day, I, I miss that. So I've had to try to transfer that over to, to work, you know, making lists and goals at work. What can I do today? How can I make this better? How can I make us function better as a team? Things like that. Today, I've, I just want to go to the Olympics since you just said that you uh, had the world record, which is phenomenal. Um, today is uh, 9-11, yes. and you had the honor of carrying the World Trade Center flag. Can you just tell us about that experience? Well, um, it, it, it was more than just carrying the flag at that moment. Uh, a lot of things led up to that. Uh, and I've always been very proud to represent my country in in, in competition, whether it was an inline skater or an ice skater, 
And I remember in in um, Nagano when I was able just to walk into the stadium, I thought it was I was one of my most proudest moments as an athlete to, to walk in with my teammates behind my country's flag. Uh, coming into um, Salt Lake City, I'm not sure if you guys know this, but I, I I quit about five months. I quit after September 11th. So I was married at the time. My wife was was at that time pregnant uh, with my daughter Mia, and my inline skating coach Virgil Dooley, his daughter was getting married that weekend. What was it? September 14th, I guess, um, of that of that year. So I was flying on September 10th, flew to Orlando, Florida to see my then wife. And the next day I was going to fly out to New York to be there for the weekend. So when, when, uh, you know, on September 11th, I woke up, the, the world changed and, um, I was stuck in Florida for about 10 days because yeah, I was going to say, wait, no one flew for like two weeks, basically. Yeah. It was 10 days and they, um, and I was watching TV and I was crying at every image of seeing these people being brought out of the rubble. Uh, and I felt so embarrassed to be a speed skater. Because for the majority of my life, I put all of my self-worth and value on going around in circles. How fast did I go around in circles? That was it. I, I felt like I had not done anything productive for those around me. So I came back to Utah and I told my coach, I said, I, I can't do this anymore. I, um, we were all, we, he brought me out on the ice and we had a moment of silence on the finish line. And we all held hands and I opened my eyes and I was crying. I had to skate off. I left practice. Um, I just couldn't function. My, my, I was rock to the core. And all of my years leading up to that moment, um, I, I moved away from home in 17. I was broke. I was eating out of trash cans. But in, in all those moments, I always thought the next day would be better. I'd have some type of you know future. There was something positive going to be in my path. This is the first time I didn't know what to think. And so as I got back to Utah, I, I quit Home Depot. I told my, my managers, I can't do this. If there's someone else that can benefit from this funding, please give it to them. And everybody was trying to stop me because, this again, it's like five and a half months out from the games. And I, I saw some sports psychologists, and then we made a decision if I was going to continue to skate, it wasn't going to be about me or any medals. It was going to be about those those victims and the ones that were left behind. So from that point on, any time I had a bad practice or a bad competition or whatever, I thought of these these people. And it brought me back on track. And um, as the, the games came, uh, the night before the opening ceremonies, I got a call from um, some from the USOC, a guy named Greg Harney, and he said, "Hey, Derek, uh, you've been voted one of the eight, eight athletes to carry the World Trade Center flag in. Do you do you accept?" And I said, without hesitation, I said, "Yes." <laughs> Sorry, um, I felt that uh, this I was drawn to this moment. It was more a bigger moment than than the Olympics were to me. Um, my coach and teammates were were telling me like I was dumb for 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 jeopardizing my races to carry a flag, but I didn't think they got it. Um, I, I accepted, and, and I I met the other athletes and that uh, right before the opening ceremonies, and we unfolded the flag. The Port Authority officers, whose job it was to oversee the flag, unfolded it for the first time, and we all gravitated towards a spot. And as I looked down, we were all rubbing the flag with our fingers. And um, all I could think of it was my soul was being touched. And we, from that moment on, we didn't say a word to each other. Uh, out of the eight of us that carried that flag, five of us won medals. Um, we walked out onto the capacity filled stadium and it was silent. You couldn't hear uh, a pin, you could hear a pin drop. I felt that everybody in that stadium, if not the world watching, was experiencing that same emotion. And for me, time stood still. 
And at the very end of the national anthem, a gust of wind uh, blew the flag, was blowing the flag out of our hands. And all I could think of was, was the breath of those victims. And I went home that night with a piece of my heart that I'd never known. I was 32 years old. I came back the next day and skated the 5,000 meter, which I wasn't supposed to be anywhere in the top 10. <laughs> <laughs> but I set a 15 second personal and, and briefly held the world record. And I, I kid you not, I felt like someone was on the ice with me that day. Everywhere I skated, there was this warm pocket of air. It was, it was the easiest race I've ever skated uh, and the most shocking as well. And that set me up for my games. And 10 days later, I came back and won the gold. Um, that moment defined, uh, if not my life, the, the, the game is my life. Uh, just what's important and how important those are around us and what we mean, how much we impact each other on a daily basis. And so, um, yeah, it was an incredible experience. And uh, uh, as you can see, 16, 16 years, 17, 17 years, yeah. 16 years later, it still, uh, it still hits me. Well, it is. It's the anniversary today. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's something that, I felt, I felt it was really special when I, when I realized that today and, and I, it, it is, I think it's touched everyone in, in some, some capacity, um, setting world records, <laughs> you know, or, or something, you know, somebody, something has well, experienced because not everybody knew somebody or had some tie, but it's somehow just touched everyone. Well, we we talked about it with Carrie Jackson a few weeks ago too. Like, I mean, that changed the Radio from Hell show. You mm-hmm. know, the the top morning show in this state from went from being a music show a music to now talk radio. Yeah, music oriented show to because of going through that. They just morning. took calls. Yeah, they they came back on the air. They just to. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. They, so they, I had they no idea. at the time they were uh, they were still the number one rated show, but they were doing a lot of music and very little commentary, but you know a bit, um, and and that happened, and they cut the music and they went back on the air. Uh, they actually stayed longer, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. They stayed for they several hours uh, past the past the time of the morning yep. show, and they uh, they had a coffee shop that was defunct, but it had the TV still in it. And they opened it up for people to come and just be together, so that they weren't by themselves and then the next couple of days they just stayed on and they, and they let took, people call in. They took calls and, and people that called in. It was my daughter's, it was my daughter's birthday and now she'll always share her birthday with this horrible tragic event. Just people that, that needed to talk and, and ever since then they've just been, they've just been a talk. Radio yeah. show. So, I mean, it, it's kind of a dumb little thing, but at the same time, like it totally changed the way that they did their jobs every single day because they decided this is what the people need from us not not to hear some dumb song <laughs> they just top 40 yeah <laughs> seriously i think the, the olympics were important though i lived in new jersey when it all happened and having the olympics in america in salt lake city just months after that happened like I just remember what I have tons of I don't have a lot of regrets in life but leaving and not being able to be part of the the broadcasting team because <laughs> that's what I w- was at college for um, was definitely a regret but seeing that on TV and knowing it was in my state and seeing the flags and there was just so so much pride I can't even imagine how you felt in that moment. I just had to have been so incredible. So well, I appreciate a, you sharing it. <laughs> as a speed skater, uh, 
not even an Olympic athlete as a speed skater, I've never felt that much support uh, ever. And I mean, I was working at the Home Depot, right? And people, some people knew I was a skater, some didn't. But uh, those that did camp and said, "Hey, you know, we're we're behind you, you know, and uh, show them what we can do," kind of a thing. And so uh, it, it was just a, such a powerful moment. Um, and uh, I think it, it brought us together I mean, as a country too. And we didn't, I mean, it was a time of uncertainty. We didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah. So I think yeah. I, I would like to think that the success of the American team, which was our most successful games at that point with 32 medals, um, was a, a springboard for the American people. Kind of like, you know, the, the hockey game in, uh, in right. Lake Placid, um, where it got people to change their mind, you know, and their beliefs of how we are as a, as a country. And, um, we, we had a very successful run and I felt like things were looking better and it was, it was a, a, it was a different after that because the time between September 11th and the games was, was very, uh, uncertain and very scary. Well, I think, I, I think that was a, a particular time where it, it wasn't just national pride that came to the forefront it was a, a sense of of unity uh, across the country so. and globally i mean we, yeah. there are people from every race and country that were in, involved in that oh, yeah, yeah. There I, p- people in that building from every everywhere. walk of life and, and that's a very many nations i think it was or something that, that, that's a very different that's a very different sort of atmosphere than just being prideful of being an american it's it's a sense of hey it doesn't matter what our differences are like this is the, we have to come together to figure this out for each other and not not necessarily figure out how to how to fight it but figure out how to deal with it and how to cope with it because it's a I mean it's a huge tragedy it's happened it's happened to so many other countries since yeah. then as well yeah and right. it, it, it really I mean look at the the crazy stuff that happened in France and mm-hmm. the stuff that's happened in both in England and mm-hmm. Spain and yeah I mean it's it's where's next yeah it's unfortunate um, that, that that's Sometimes that's what it takes to, to bring people together. I was I was curious, is that that whole experience, is that part of what has driven you? Because you are you're very involved in the community. Obviously you're you're involved with that the foundation. Um, is that part of what has driven you to be part of that foundation and, and do some of the, the community learning stuff that you do, or you know, is it just I was born like this. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, um, clearly. Know that. <laughs> no, uh, you know, I've I've been very fortunate and um, there was, I still scratch my head sometimes wondering how I got to be on top of that podium or how I got to be here today. Cause I left home at 17. Again, um, my, my, my dad, I live with my mom, dad were divorced. My dad didn't like skating. He was a macho, you know, Mexican American. He never went to see me skate. Um, my dad, my mom called me and she went to a couple of play, a couple of uh, events and actually was there when I first started ice skating. But, um, both were, were separate, right? They, they never, I never lived with my, in the same place as my mother and my dad I, I lived at the same house with, but didn't know him because he was very, um, distant and, and stern and, and just didn't show affection. So, um, I ended up finding the, someone to help fuel my passion from other parents of skaters or the people when I moved away. Again, I, I've told you where I moved over my, in my life and everywhere I went, I met people who didn't see, my dream, but saw the dream in me. And for some reason or other were decided to back me, whether I let, let me live in their house or rent the, a room in their house or mow their lawn to raise money or baby, they go out on dates to babysit so I can babysit and make 20 bucks that night. They need to go on a date. They just go paint fences, you name it. Um, through all the years I was struggling and I felt like, um, there's no reason I should have been there, but because there was someone there who was, who came into my path for whatever reason and became part of my journey, they helped me get there. And and there's a, 
Uh, there's two stories I want to tell. There's one after the silver medal. I went up in the stands to see my dad, who was his first time seeing me skate. And this woman, when I went to hug him, jumped and gave me a hug and said, oh my gosh, that was awesome. You know, and I go, there went hi, you know, and gave her a hug and hugged my dad. And my dad's crying. And uh, I went, I started talking to the woman. She says, here, take his flag and go out. It's an American flag. Go out in the middle of the, of the arena and wave it around, you know, over your head like most athletes do. And I, and I, so I did, and I went out there and got my, my, the flower ceremony in the venue. And then I came back to give her the flag back. And she said, no, just keep it. And I said, no, I can't. This is your American flag. And she says, Derek, she puts her arm around me, you know, I says, Derek, you know, I've been sitting here with your father and, and talking about all your accomplishments. And she just went on for a few minutes talking about me and my life, which I had never met this woman. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, I said, you know, okay, I, I humbly accept. Thank you so much. It means a lot to me. And she goes, okay, well, great. I got to go now. My husband's waiting outside. He's getting in the car. And she gave me a hug and a kiss on the cheek. And my dad a hug and kiss on the cheek. And she left. I looked at my dad and I said, who is that? He said, I have no idea. She just happened to sit next to my dad and experience that moment. And so today I carry my medals in the flag that she gave me. And oh, I've written cool. a book and, cool. and I've mentioned the book. If you ever read this book, I don't know her name. I could, I, if I saw her, I, probably, <laughs> I could probably remember her face. But if she ever reads this book, pick up the phone, call me. I'd love to just thank her for this gesture, that grand gesture she gave me just 10 days away when I won my gold. But it, it, it was symbolic of so many people that helped me get there. And she just, again, met me for one second and gave me this American flag. And then 10 days later, when I won the, the gold, I'm at the ceremony during the national anthem. Um, someone in the, in the front of the stadium started to sing the national anthem. And by midway through the, the entire amphitheater, like setting at the awards plaza, Everybody in there was singing the American National Anthem, and I could see all of their mouths moving in unison, and I could feel the volume of their voices on my chest. And I blinked my eyes for a second, and I saw all the faces of people who helped me get there. So many, many times in my life, I've been proven, or God's shown me, or my path has shown me that I did not get there alone. This was another time. And so when all this happened with the American American flag at the opening ceremonies with the, with the World Trade Center flag, it was another moment that was, a, was an exclamation mark this time that we are all connected. And that's what's so sad at sometimes when I see our state of our country sometimes or our communities when we come together and people are at their best when things are at their worst and then we have a, a good smooth path and we start bickering about little things. And um, it's just... If you could see the Olympic Village and the the multiple countries that are in there and how we all live in harmony and are there for sport and we congratulate each other and we make new friends from whatever part of the world and whatever piece of land across whatever ocean or we're all coming together, that's how the world can be. But our politics and religion get involved so much and it just tears us apart and it's just, it's sad to see sometimes and I, I, I wonder what our outlook is for our country and um, I just wish that small glimpse of that what I've seen at Olympic Games and the way not only our country comes together but the world comes together it, it, it definitely makes a difference and I think everybody feels that so to answer your question sorry long story no, long story is, is just I, I feel like throughout my life someone I don't know who care who it is a stranger a friend a friend of a friend or a mother or parent of a skater has come and helped me get take a next step so I feel like I need to in any any uh, venue not not venue sports venue but any whether it's in the street or in a in a for a foundation or a fundraising event or whatever 
if I can be someone to help someone take a step forward or encourage them to, to believe when they don't believe, because belief is so important in what we do in our lives. Um, if I can be that person for, for one person, then I, I, I can't think of anything better to do in my life. I have, we have two more questions for you. So the first one I'm going to ask is going to make things a little less serious. <laughs> <laughs> I read in your bio that you eat a package of Fig Newtons before every race. I wish Fig Newtons was a big major cookie in the Nabisco Corporation, but it's not. So, <laughs> well, I mean, if you ask uh, Ricky Bobby, it's good. I love Fig Newtons. No, no, no. So I, I love them, but I'm curious, is that, was that a superstition thing uh, after a while, or do you just freaking love Fig Newtons that much? Uh, a little bit of both. Uh, it started when I was, when I was 17 years old, or I was, well, after I left home at 17, I, I met a coach who taught me everything about skating and training and uh, and about really about believing in myself and what I could, the possibilities could be. And I went to my first U.S. tryout and I was the youngest skater there, the top 24 skaters in the country. With, this is for roller skating. It's in Colorado Springs, the Olympic Training Center on a, on a concrete bank track on the old traditional skates. And it's the night before my first race. Um, I'm, I'm not even in the, in the same league as some of these guys. And I had trained by myself to get there. Like my coach had had me doing time trials and just trying to get fit. Um, so I'm, I'm laying in a, in a bunk bed, looking up at the ceiling tiles, uh, probably like two in the morning, just so nervous. I, I hopped the fence at the Olympic training center and went to a Seven Eleven down like literally across the street. And I'm looking for something somewhat healthy to, to eat, to help settle my stomach <laughs> for the next day. Hello. I saw this golden, you know, it's fruit and cake. yeah, this is golden <laughs> package in the, in the aisle. I'm like, why not? So know. like the big, like the box, not yeah, like the two things, no, the, but the, like yeah, the, the long the one two, row. Oh, yeah, 15 cookies in one row. Yeah, like the six servings? It's probably six servings, yeah. yeah. Well, it was one for me that night. <laughs> I, I took it home. I I just was sitting there, and next thing I knew, all 15 cookies are gone, and I went to bed. I came back that first day. I skated out of my head, and I was <laughs> I, I won some time. I was top two in some time trials, and I had placed fourth or fifth in some pack races, and it was a mixture of both. So that night, I went back, got three more rolls, <laughs> came back, and the, the next sugar, you were on big, a sugar. Yeah. It's big magic. <laughs> yeah. So the next so the next three days, uh, next three nights, I, I kept eating those, and I ended up making the team on my first try, and I was in the team for the whole time I, in my career from 1990, 19. 89 to 1996. So when I went to the ice, same kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> if No kidding. If you went to a World Cup, and actually I got stopped a few times. That was your rider? I got, Newton. Yeah, <laughs> I got, I got, I got uh, stopped a few times in customs because you'd open up my suitcase and it was just literally lined with Fig Newtons. So I had one, <laughs> I had a sleeve of Fig Newtons for every like race fruit, that I raced. And we were gone for eight weeks sometimes. <laughs> so I had rows so of Fig Newtons <laughs> and I would pull them out and I would stack my Fig Newtons and I'd have them for each race day and that's what I did my whole, my whole career. Do you still like them? Love them. I have them. Yes. I have them Fig in my house now. Awesome. I throw them in when I go on mountain bike rides or something like that or whatever. I'll put them in my back. Just the regular flavor, just, though. Not any like, I don't like fruity. Yeah. No fruity flavor. Just plain old fig. Like the apple Newtons or the raspberry Newtons. They're okay, but they're not the same. They're not figs. I'll get the seeds figs. and the figs. Huh? I'll just eat figs. I think figs are delicious. They are, but they look kind of strange. So, <laughs> so I, I was a funny story. <laughs> Chelsea Pierce after the book by its cover. I know, I know. Hey, I'm not. I eat those things. But I had, I did a, so we talked to the Bisco people at one point because we were looking for some sponsors after the games you're like I promise I <laughs> eat them all the time well they were in every article you can't you can, I mean I, he could have just looked at pictures that, I, that someone took of me but um, the guy said to me the, the rep from Nabisco said listen Derek he, like, he actually had my head, my wrist and he said listen 
um, fig newtons are such a small piece, but if you had eaten Oreo cookies every night, this, we wouldn't even have a conversation. You'd, we'd, we'd be there. We'd have a contract signed. But like, Oreo cookies are huge. Yeah. Oreo cookies are huge in, for Nabisco. It's one of their, it's their biggest it's seller. Big one, yeah. So well, maybe they should have used you to make Fig Newtons a better seller. It's not a cookie. It's a Newton. <laughs> <laughs> it's fruit and cake. Remember the old court trial commercial? <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. But and in the end, I ended up uh, having a skate day with the big fig in Chelsea Piers, New York. <laughs> and it was this guy in a big fig suit and he had a ribbon that said Fig Newtons and we skated around and taught speed skating. It was kind of a fun day. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so look, the last question, if you ever listen to the show, um, you know it's coming, but you, you've chosen to make Utah your home. Like you said, you lived in a bunch of different places, you've been all over the world, um, but, but Utah is, is where you call home. What's one thing that you would tell someone visiting the state of Utah that they needed to do before they left? Wow. Go to the Olympic Oval. That's, yeah. <laughs> no, you know what? Um, I think a couple things. I, I mean, if you could make a day out of Utah, I'd say go hike a trail, uh, go visit one of our parks if we if you can, and then go downtown uh, and just look at our city life. Um, there are so many great hikes around this place. Uh, so many great people you meet along the way. I met a guy one time who recognized me and he gave me his hiking stick, which was a tree that was, I guess, uh, native of Utah. He had uh, a rope around there, like a 200 pound test rope in case I'm with someone who falls off a cliff, I can host him up. It had um, three fing- like three kind of fingers at the end of the branch. So for snakes, you could pick it up and he had a little fishing line or something like in case I get stuck somewhere and I could fish for food. This guy just met me on the trail and he goes here like this is, we have a, a group of guys that, that we all walk together and this is, we all have one of these. We've all made them ourselves or we, people have made them for each other. He goes, I want to give you mine. Aww. It was like a, like an old, like Rambo. Nice. Guy yeah. that, How you had, had to use it for all of those and... things is my question. <laughs> <laughs> I have not, I, I've only hiked with it. So what, what, what's your, but, what's your favorite trail that you've hiked in Utah? Um, I would probably say, well, with my dogs, I'd have to say probably, um, I like the, not and I don't stay on trail a lot. Like I get to a point and start venturing with my dogs, but up Silver Lake's great because they can jump into Silver Lake. Where um, else? There's a bunch of trails up in uh, in the Big Cottonwood Canyon. We, we did hikes for as skaters uh, that have little um, like still water there. Like up in um, if you go up to Alta and you hike up in Alta, I don't even know the name of the trail, but you walk up top. There's a little lake up there. Um, I spent some time up there uh, with my fiance. So it's just, just there's just so much beauty here. Whether it's the the, the flowers turning uh, different colors and the in the when the seasons change or uh, rugged hikes if you're looking for a good workout, then again you can go out afterwards and you'll see one of these parks or you know. Um, I would I wouldn't say go like to Lagoon because I got sick one time in Lagoon, but um, <laughs> on that chair ride that music spins Express. around. I don't know. You sit in a chair and it kind of just pulls the you music up. Music Express. Yeah, I get for some reason yeah. that gets me. That sounds like the screamer. Yeah, it does. Yeah, that and the spider where you're you're going at one direction, you keep spinning around. Oh yeah, that gets me. Yep. I can go fast in circle. Yeah, I just can't say, spin in circle. You can make a three D <laughs> turn on your skates, but you can't yeah. ride a ride at the amusement park. It's the multiple spinning. Have you ever gone down the bobsled? Yeah. That's not so it? bad. It's it's more of a it's more painful than it is. It is. is. I don't know how they do it over and over. Yeah. Well, it's it's, it's faster and smoother on ice, and it's pa- more padded, isn't it? I need it's, well, you're, those guys are bigger. And so they fill up the sled more. Yeah, the whole keep your arms out, but don't put oh, your. How I know. Do you do? I'm sore when I get. I'm sore when I get done. Uh, yeah, you're supposed to, to your head. Shrug. I like that he did like the you're head bobble. To shrug your heads up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, bring your shoulders to your head. Keep your elbows yeah. out. 
and then like arch your back and pull up on those leashes at the same time. Have you done it on both the summer and the, the ice track? Or? Not the ice track, no? but the summer and yeah. the summer gets kind of rough. Yeah. But yeah. I'm impressed with the drivers who go down there multiple times a day. Oh, I know. Because I'm heck? a little disoriented after one one trip. So I can't yeah. imagine those guys doing 14 of them all day. But yeah, you can go to a park. Do excuse me, do that and then go out and have a nice drink in one of these open air cafes or a restaurant downtown, have some great food here and just enjoy the stars and the weather we have here. It is just a fabulous, fabulous place. If, if I can stay here the rest of my life, I will. We'll keep you. Well, thanks for joining us. This has been a really, a really good conversation. I, I really enjoyed it. I got to tell you, like, honestly, you can, you can cut this out if you want to, but I was a little freaked out when I came up in a cul-de-sac <laughs> and uh, I'm in a home, like, uh-oh, stalker. Kidnapping me. Basically, yeah. yes. Come on, I live in Kearns. Yeah. No, that's fine. <laughs> this should, you should feel safe and, and at home. You're still yeah. in the same block. Yeah. You didn't it even was leave little, your block. I was, expect, I was expecting a, like a business office or something like that because you said people usually show up a little early and for the, you know for this conversation. I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'll just wait in the lobby. So when I came out, I was like, hey, a living room. Yeah. <laughs> then she says, Jessica's like, okay, we have an office downstairs. <laughs> Start looking around, okay? Uh, you know, put looking for maybe in my future right. emails, I should be put more the lotion specific. In the basket. <laughs> no, we're totally maybe not in because that's freaking awesome. Just put a basket out. Well, hopefully, yeah. we didn't, yeah. hopefully, we didn't scare you too much. No, this is great. You guys are awesome. Good. Thanks for the opportunity to And where can people find you if they want to watch you play hockey or <laughs> be part of the Olympic Legacy the program? Have a game at 8:30. <laughs> no, tonight we're we're doing this fun we're doing this fun thing. Uh, our seasons are we had a weird season this year because we we replaced our ice plant. So from the original 93 bid, we had an ice refrigeration unit back there that freezes our ice. Oh wow. So after was 25 years something yeah, like that it, yeah. it's outlived its life so we spent over a million dollars to put a new ice plant in there this year which wow. now freezes the ice more efficiently so it, it kind of messed with our season so now we have a month off for our adult league men's hockey so we were doing this three on three cross ice which is usually to do with youth but it's it gives you a little more chances to, to handle the puck uh, it, it really, for me, equalizes things because I, I like to use my speed, but now we're in a very small place, so it makes you have to stick handle a little bit better. But it's great. We have about, I think it's about uh, eight or ten teams, ten teams, twelve teams. And so we play cross-size two teams at a time, and there's six games, uh, two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve games a night, wow. um, you know, 13-minute periods kind of thing, and it's, it's fun. But I'll be there tonight. Uh, I'm mostly at the Oval. If you ever want to find me, you just have to go to the Oval any weekday, sometimes on the weekends. Curling. I'm, I'm there uh, all the time, um, just kind of watching over the sports, making sure we're doing the right things. Uh, and uh, other than that, I'm out in Draper, uh, outdoors, Drinking. or doing yard work, or running <laughs> with my dogs, or spending time with my fiance. Just... Uh, I've He's been being a again, dude. Just yeah, a dude and dude, a dad. not a dad though. Yeah, because it's the dude that has the jumps, not the dad. I promise. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dads get hurt when they do that. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, that's gonna do it for our show. Jess, you cannot mouth lyrics at me when I'm talking. It is, it is so fucking difficult. When you like look at me in the eye and mouth lyrics, and I can't really read your lips, but I think you're talking to me, it fucks with me every time. It is so difficult. Um, but that's going to do it. Thanks again to, to Derek. Uh, sorry if the show was a bit of a bummer. Um, some, sometimes the fat X part was really nice. Yeah, I mean sometimes when we sometimes 
things turn out that way. Uh, we don't we don't necessarily plan it, but uh, you know, after we we do the interviews, oftentimes before we record the rest of the show because of of, of timing. Um, and then we'll we'll splice them in, and and I think talking to Derek about that moment, it wasn't in our notes to talk about that in in any kind of detail. It was just one of the potential questions for Derek and. Um, his story was compelling enough that I felt like it is September 11th. And it was so, it was so good. So thanks. Thanks Derek for, for sharing that with us. That's, that can't be something that's easy to share. Um, obviously, uh, you guys hope I, I would assume you guys heard the tearing up, uh, in his voice and, and, um, 17 years you later. You did it, you're cold-hearted bastards. Yeah. <laughs> 17 years later for that still to be that emotionally jarring is 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 something. So, uh, if you uh, if you're interested in doing some fun Olympic shit, um <laughs> Just go up to the Olympic Oval or just listen to curling. our show. You don't even have to do fun Olympic shit. You can just you go can skate. Curl. You can, yeah, you can just join his little hockey. Re- yeah, you can. Thing. You can do hockey. Um, apparently, you can play indoor soccer. No, um, you can't. No, they rid of that. Remember? Not there though. Not there. But there are other places to do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's that's uh, that's going to do it for us. Um, Come follow us on Twitter at TNU Podcast. Uh, go out to our website, thenewutah.com. Um, you know, post a review uh, for us. If you like what you hear, share uh, our episodes on whatever platform you're getting this on. Um, and uh, let us, you know, let us know if you, you have something you want to talk about, uh, if you want to come on the show. Next week, we talked about it briefly. We have something really special coming for you guys. Uh, a trip out to... Um, I'm a little nervous, you guys. Oh, I just want to say on that side note, they had an amazing documentary at FanX, and it was nothing like you would have ever expected. These guys are doing amazing things in their community. Yeah, I... Outside I, of the haunt. It's amazing. I wanted to watch that, and there was something else going on at that time, so uh, I didn't. Pretty sure it was Twisted Tunes. Yeah, that, that wins. Yeah, we can't skip that. <laughs> that wins uh, every time. We we actually sat next to this lady who was learning to be an American Sign Language translator. Oh, that uh, was and she be sat awesome. down and she looked over. She's like, I hope that's me in like a year. And we're like, and she was telling us about it. And she's like, Oh, I know some of them. And she got up and left. And we, just, and we never saw her again. She went over there to sit with the ASL people and, oh. and probably sign with <laughs> Either them sign or... I think they, they have to be <laughs> certified, so it may have just been her just observing like what she would need to be yeah, doing. And, uh, how do you fucking sign I for I don't know, because there's like eight to Have you ever seen them do that. for like rap concerts and stuff? It is amazing. <laughs> oh, wasn't amazing. it Jay Washington that was saying somebody was signing? Who was it? Somebody was telling me they were signing... Or maybe it was Travis Tate. I think Travis was yeah. in one of his stand-ups. So, uh, anyway. Um, yeah, so, if you guys like it, uh, please share it. That's that's all we ask. It's not much. 